Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Party goers, and welcome to another episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And this is your favorite podcast about music that involves people listening to music that are father and daughter. That's very specific. It is very specific. I don't want to get too non specific because there are plenty of other very good music podcasts out there. That's fair. That have more resources yep. than ours mm-hmm. and better hosts. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I call it like I see it. Uh... It's kind of rude, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't. I think I disagree with that statement. You disagree with it? Yeah. All right. You think we're the best? Yes. Best host out there? Yeah. Best host going? Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll go along with that. I think so. I like your I like your unwarranted enthusiasm. Thank you. And confidence as well. Thank you. That's <laughs> what I'm known for. You're, is it really? No. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, not not part of the personality I think about when I think about you, Mary. I think you're very sensible. Yes. And very funny. Thank you. And you're a very kind person. Oh, thanks. Yep, I agree with that. But I've never thought of you as a very forward person, one who's going to like put herself out there. Although you have done a lot of things that... No, I guess I'm going to change that. I'm going to scratch that. You are a very confident and forward person. You've done a lot of things, I think, that that take some courage. Right. You know? Yeah, sometimes. I can can do it sometimes. You went to Ottawa by yourself when you were a student. I did. A high school student. Yes. That's pretty... I went to Quebec by myself for three months, too. That took some courage. You uh, started a job on an island. Yes, I did. You know, you kind of put yourself out there for that, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm taking all that back. I'm going to say you are... I believe you now. Your confidence, although unwarranted, is is part of your personality. Right. Well, I think that is fair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. That's great. So, Mayor, uh, the votes were in. I should say the vote was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was agreed. Wait, I'm sorry. Vote? Yeah. From last episode. The votes are in and every song was great last last time, including Sylvia said, which you, you did not enjoy. But apparently you were wrong. Well, that's okay. I can be wrong. Well, no, I, don't, I don't know about wrong, no, no, but wrong. I think that's the thing about Statistically, opinions. factually, objectively mm-hmm. wrong. I don't in your opinion. know about that. I think it's kind of, <laughs> I think it's pretty subjective, but okay. That's why opinion is in objective. Right. Right. The O anyway. Mm-hmm. Dad, I have some very exciting news. Oh, okay. What's that? Eve is going to be home for pizza and movies tonight. Oh, that's great. That is great. Is she uh, coming? Is she bringing any with her? Oh, I'll ask. Probably not. Okay. Because we are watching a horror movie. Oh, okay. Also, Eve was telling me she has two midterms tomorrow. Oh, dear. So good luck, Eve, with those midterms. That's <laughs> good luck. I imagine her eating, eating pizza and visiting us will be a, a mere fly-in. And yes, again. probably. <laughs> Thanks for the pizza. Goodbye. I invited her to come and see Tenet yeah. with us last night. We went for the second time to see Tenet. Mm-hmm. This time we saw it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> really? Did you pay off the projectionist? <laughs> yeah. The other people in the theater were not impressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only word they could understand was tenet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, Seder. Yeah. And Rot- his company, Rotas. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. That's an, okay. And uh, I think Arepo and Opera. Arepa? Uh, uh, 
Arepa, yeah. What's that? That's something in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not not notice that. Well, maybe we can talk about Tenet another time, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's like this um, codex, it's like okay. this Roman thing. Yeah. And the middle is, it's like opera, satyr, Tenet, Rotas, Arepa. Okay. And that's what he got the the title yeah and then also a bunch of like the opera house and um and satyr's name okay and rotas oh. all came from wow. that wow. yeah for christopher nolan you mean yes wow interesting hmm. and yeah the oldest known of those was found in pompeii wow and uh they were in pompeii for a part of that movie they were tenet yeah they're in pompeii they didn't say it was pompeii though they did they did say it was pompeii yeah they were in pompeii oh. when hmm. um when they were doing the sailing Oh, okay. Okay. So they were near Pompeii. Yes. Like, they were like visiting. It doesn't there. really feature in the movie, really. No, it doesn't feature in the movie, but they do I guess say... they're standing on that, yeah. in that patio sort of area yes. on a cliff face yes. looking out over the sea. So anyone, if you haven't seen uh, Tenet, uh, we highly re- uh, our family highly recommends it. Yes. Um, two of us have seen it twice. That's how much we enjoyed it. Yeah. Three of us if we count Duncan. Sure. Sure. Three of us have seen it twice. Others have two uh, midterms on Monday. <laughs> and mom said that it was a movie about space <laughs> which is not true yeah oh but um so it's called the Seder square oh okay huh that's it's a fascinating film it I, is it's really good i highly recommend it also uh duncan and i were going to go and see it on friday yeah but then changed our minds because there weren't really any good seats available mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. um because seating in th- movie theaters right now is really really limited yes it is and you kind of have to book your tickets quickly to get a good seat rather than sitting on the sides yeah because it seems like about yeah i mean there's probably only like six groups mm. allowed in the theater six six pairs allowed in the theater wow at once about and then maybe two singles yeah and i think two of those are on the sides so it's like, you really got to book quickly if you want to not be on the sidelines there. Because um, yeah. it's not my ideal way to see a movie is sitting on the, on the side yeah, theater yeah. part. Um, yeah, my favorite spot in the theater. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want other people to, st- to start using it. Well, that's where we sat. It's not a popular place for people to sit. No, it's not. But it's the best place. It is. Well, I remember when I was a teenager Yeah. and we would go to the movies and yes. I would go with my friends and we would all sit at the very back of the theater because that's where you sit when you go to the movie yeah. with your friends. Yeah. But then when I grew up, I was like, oh, well, it's way better to sit down there, though. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think that most I think that people who are sort of movie or theater people know where the best seats are in the house. Mm-hmm. Because I remember in my in the theater at my high school. Yes. They said, like, oh, this area is like the best spot to sit if you're at the theater. Mm and it was like basically where we sit at the movie theater. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, but we were gonna go on Friday, mm-hmm. and then we didn't, and we just had um, dinner at Duncan's parents' house instead because he's staying there right now, and he was wearing his shirt inside out. I was like, Duncan, your shirt's inside <laughs> out. And he was like, Oh well, it's because I thought we were going to see Tenet. <laughs> good recovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's good. Okay. Uh, any exciting news this week other than that? I moved back home. You moved back. Well, that's right. You're living with us again. Yeah, I am. My house got sold that I was living in the basement suite of. Yeah. So I moved out. Yeah. It's, you, it you is. Were, you were rent evicted. Yeah. Well, no, we weren't rent evicted. They're not, they're not like flipping it. Or they're, they're not, they weren't, they're not kicking us out to like, quote unquote, renovate it and yeah. then rent it to someone else for more. Yeah. They're, uh, it's a couple and the husband's parents. Oh, I see. Because the husband's dad um, has cancer. Mm. And so they 
we're living up north, um, but there's not very good medical services available up up north where it's more remote. Mm-hmm. Um, they were living in Bella Coola. Yeah. So he was having to fly down for medical services, sure. but that got hard over the winter. And so they moved down here and they were all living together in a house um, since February hmm. and like looking for a place to buy. And then they finally found this place for the basement suite. So wow, works better for them. Not for us, though. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Your, your lives were kind of changing anyway and yeah, making it kind of untenable to yeah. stay, stay there anyhow. So. Yeah. that's. I mean, it probably would have happened eventually, just sooner rather than later. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So... um. I guess we're going to we're going to start side 2 of the mixtape I made for Jamie Fong. We did side 1 last time. Mm-hmm. This is side 2 of it. And I'm just going to editorialize this briefly before we start. Okay. Which is that I think I put all of the songs that people would like at the beginning of it and then I went for the weirder songs for the second. I don't think I'm not saying people won't like these songs. Hmm. I'm just saying they're they're weirder. Oh. On this okay. side, Interesting. I think. I don't know about that. Okay. About that, like I just think there's more, more kind of it's a bit more on you. Oh, I don't know if that's true. You're right. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm this high on the success of the first side that I'm. I'm now. I'm now. I'm a little bit. You're doubting yourself. I'm tentative. I'm hmm. tentative about this side, Mary. Right. I'm worried about your thoughts. That's silly, but okay. I'm, re- I'm kind of. You can see my hands shaking. It's not shaking. Look like a, like, a, like a leaf, Mary. Like a it's leaf on a tree in, in a high He's holding wind. Holding his hand is still as a stone. <laughs> Still is a stone. Yeah, stones. A floating stone. <laughs> well, what else floats and is stable? I don't know. Um, a how about it's it's a, it's he's holding his hand as stable as the as the reinforced concrete floors of falling waters. The Frank Lloyd Wright. I was designed. gonna say. I was gonna say of a cantilevered house. <laughs> well, that's falling water. I can't yeah. it. I was trying to think of the word, but yeah, the, I was the also trying to think concrete. of the, the house. Yeah. Falling waters, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Falling waters, or some of Frank Lloyd Wright's, Wright's other uh, cantilevered homes in Oak Park, Illinois. Does he have much in the way of cantilevered there? I didn't. He has uh, one. Oh, okay. Or maybe two, but he definitely has one cantil. It's his first cantilevered design is okay. in Oak Park. Okay. Yeah, so I often think of those as being more from the kind of prairie style. They are. It is prairie style. Oh, okay. But I mean, um, Falling Waters prairie style as well. Is it? Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought yeah. prairie, prairie style, the idea of that was. To make kind of instant houses for, for people. So. No, uh, Prairie Style's um, idea is to make homes that simulate the landscape ah. and blend in with the landscape. So a lot of um, flat lines mm-hmm. and um, colors that emulate the, the colors around. So a lot of like browns and grays and, and greens, depending on the area. But yeah, yeah. in um, Oak Park, it's a lot of browns and grays and... Yeah, yeah. Like red as well. Red is kind of his like color. Mm. Like there's a lot of red at like Talison. Um and uh yeah, really flat lines and also a lot of um like verticals. Mm-hmm. For sure. Very vertical design, like not it, they can be like tall, but they're often quite even when they are big, they still look like long rather than like large. Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah, in incorporating nature as much as possible and trying to incorporate um yeah, like natural materials as well, mm-hmm. like wood and stone. Um, and also a, some, depending on the timeline, but there was also some, a fair amount of like Japanese influence there too, sure, especially sure. after his trip to Japan mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when he designed the Imperial Hotel there. He did? Yeah. Yeah. One of the few buildings to survive the earthquake. Yeah. 
Because he put in such deep pilings. Mm-hmm. And it was also uh, designed, it was a more fluid, less rigid design. Okay. okay. So it tend, it like moved with the yeah. earthquake rather than being built. So it was like standing totally still. Yeah. Because that's the problem with brick in an earthquake, which is why brick was, you weren't allowed to build brick buildings in BC for a long time, is because um, of all the earthquakes here. Yeah. yeah. You can now though, can you? You still can you build brick buildings now? Can you? Can you not? I still think you, I don't think you can. Oh, really? I think you're limited to how much you can use. Oh, okay. You can have oh, a certain okay. you can have a certain right. height of brick, and then you have to right. You have to go to some other materials mm. that are more flexible. Yeah, it's, yeah. Everything here is made of wood. For the most part, I mean, there are stone buildings and things, but yeah. those were built before uh, earthquake. Yeah. The idea of earthquakes <laughs> as a, pro- a yeah. possible problem became. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think they're a, pro- a problem. Right. But what do I know? No. But you're, you're no geologist. I'm not a geologist, but the fault line is about three miles off of Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And we've got Vancouver Island as our buffer. We have a ginormous buffer zone. Yeah. It's the size of England, the buffer zone between us mm-hmm. and earthquakes. So that's quite, I think that's pretty substantial. It's pretty substantial, It's actually, yeah. I think, a little bigger than England. Is so it? Yeah. So it's uh, it's quite a substantial buffer zone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I sometimes I Maybe sometimes I'm exaggerating about, the size of Vancouver Island. I think you're Island. exaggerating the size of Vancouver Island. I'm thinking of BC as being the size of, of England. Seems more re- reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes I worry about SFU, my mm. university that I went to, Simon Fraser University. Yeah. It's all concrete. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like a very brutalist building. Yes, if you If you look at it, you'll if you want to see a very uh, an example of classic brutalism, yeah. just look up Simon Fraser University's Burnaby campus. Or just watch any movie that's filmed in Vancouver and has an evil corporation. Yes. And you will see. And you'll see <laughs> SFU. <laughs> or, and also, if you want to watch anything that features a university in it. Yeah. Um, or watch anything that features a university, you'll see UBC. Yeah. Never if, see SFU as a university. No, no. SFU is not a university. No. It doesn't look like a university. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a university either. No, it looks like a, it looks like a military. Uh, it does. Uh, some sort of complex. Yeah. It's doing a lot of chemical experiments on... It does look like that. Innocent people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the the um, the um Surrey building is like a West Coast modern style. Mm. It's a lot better. It's like I, all... I like UBC. I think it's a... I think it's a SFU? fantastic... Or SFU. I think it's a fanta- fantastic looking uh, building. Mm. It's not very fun to attend the school there. Well, I don't think it's ever fun to live in an architectural... Um, example yeah i think that's you know fair. what i mean yeah like i i would say the same about frank lloyd wright houses i, I bet you i think i would like to live in a frank lloyd wright house i bet you a lot of them are hard to live in they often have very small windows mm, yeah so they're very true. limited with light and stuff so mm-hmm. i don't think that's that pleasant i prefer to have more windows and less windows that's fair maybe that's because i'm west coast though maybe in maybe in chicago people want to avoid well i think that smaller windows are more um make more sense there because you have saw it's like the weather there is more intense than it is here mm. because we live in a temperate rainforest our yeah. weather is generally moderate yeah. but i think in chicago uh or in illinois since they're right off of the great lakes and they're in a it, i think it just gets really really cold there sure and if you have smaller windows it really helps yeah. keep your house warm and yeah, also decreases so. your heating bill mm-hmm. yeah maybe he's right on maybe he's all over but also he, he insisted on putting his own furniture in your house as well you couldn't have your own could could put a lazy boy recliner in a Frank Lloyd, Frank Lloyd Wright home. Well, why would you want to? I don't know, comfort. Nah, but it looks terrible. <laughs> lazy boy? Right. Get out of here. I wasn't trying to like defend lazy boys. I just meant that if you wanted to, you were dissuaded. I mean, you, it's not that he could force when you to not do it. you think at this point, you probably could. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. He can't show up and, and, and throw it in the, in the backyard. Oh, you know what? Mm. One of Frank Lloyd Wright's houses in Oak Park, um, the person who owned it has yeah. owned it since I think the 90s. He's only the second or third owner of it. Okay. And he 
used to do tours for it. But yeah. He had a lot of health issues. I see. And he just passed away from COVID. Oh, no. Yeah. So the house was sold. Hmm. So hopefully it was sold to someone who... Will love it and can, yes, take care of it. Yes, will love it. Exactly. Hmm. I think he actually passed away in August, but yeah. Well, too bad. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let us, on that sad note... Oh, sorry. <laughs> turn, sorry. Turn to some music. Well, that's okay, Mary. Because music mm-hmm. is a cure for sadness. Yes, that's true. And so we are going to cure our sadness at the loss of this person, and is you know, and that, who is obviously someone who loved his home mm-hmm. and was and shared it with the world. Mm-hmm. And we're going to celebrate him. Yes. With a song about witches. Oh. Okay. I think that nothing could be more suitable. Uh. Right. Sure. All so, right. You tried. <laughs> <laughs> I got what's, a limited. I got a limited palette what, here, man. Yeah. What's what's the. <laughs> What's the song? I got to start with song one. I can't go to song four. Uh, this is Rita Lee, and 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 I'm gonna put in quotation marks. Tutti Fruity mm-hmm. quotations. Tutti Fruity quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song is called Yo No Creo Pero. Okay. Dot dot dot, and it comes from the album Atras de Porto, Ting Uma Cidade, which means mm-hmm. behind the city. Sorry, behind the harbor there is a city. So um. So let's listen to the song and then we'll come back and talk about Rita Lee. The song is from 1974. So here we go. Shine, it's not so bad. 
And we're back. We're back. And Mary, what did you think of that little slice of the 70s? Um, I really liked it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I thought it was a really good song. I liked the like, I liked the singing. Mm-hmm. I liked that like chimey instrument. The instrument sounds kind of like chime. Okay. Chime, had that chime sound, chimey. Sure. I, chime. I think it was a guitar, maybe? Was it? I don't know. I'm so bad at identifying <laughs> instruments. Okay. I don't know why. Like I can picture the song on my head. I just can't picture it. I mean, it could, it could be played on the synthesizer or something too. I'm not, I'm not certain. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I like the song. Okay. It was fun. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. We've talked about Rita Lee before. We've talked about her time in Osmotanches and her somewhat obscure expulsion from decision to leave the band. It's not really certain what happened at yeah. that time. Neither side has really said. Lots of people have speculated. Yeah. So it has been suggested that her attempts to add Moog synthesizer and Mellotron parts to songs was met with derision from her fellow bandmates. Uh, most, I think, I think one of the strongest arguments... For her, not necessarily her expulsion, but maybe a decision to leave. Besides the fact that she'd married the bassist keyboardist, Arnoldo Baptista, who, with his brother, Sergio Diaz Baptista, had formed Osmotanches and brought in, brought in Rita Lee from another, another band. And he, they'd married in the early 70s and then quickly divorced. And she, at the time, or has said that she didn't really consider the, mar- the marriage as a serious thing. But more as a as as a, a excuse for them to to uh, kind of escape the situation they're in, right? And so now he had a different feelings of maybe. So when they broke, when they separated, there may have been a lot of hurt feelings there. And certainly, there are some songs that are on his solo album, which is called um, Loki, that he did in 1974. There, same year as this album, there are some songs in there that mention Rita Lee. And in a in a way of regret and 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 being you know saying he's sorry, so it's hard to know exactly. But also the fact that the band had, their sound was changing, their style was changing. They were moving to more of a prog kind of sound, more longer songs, more more soloing and stuff like that. Right. And although she played guitar and was a played keyboards and things like that, that wasn't really her role in Osmotanches. She didn't have like a a musical. Like an instrument role on stage, she was more of a singer, you know, backing singer, mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, part of the, you know, kind of a figure of fun and attention on stage. She did. She liked to dress up and and you know, and be kind of silly in, in her stage attire and and so, um, so yeah, so she, so maybe she kind of like excused herself from the band at that point, maybe feeling that you know she was just becoming a decorative element on stage. Right. And there's no point in her staying in the band. And it's worth noting that Arnaldo Baptista, the founder of the group, and what you know, it's kind of main its main engine for for most of the time of the band was gone by the next album as well oh, okay know? which also came out in 74 so <laughs> but by that time he was working on he had put out his own solo album so leaving mutanchis real real uh she remarried she married this guy named mick killingbeck who was a producer and kind of a cultural agitator and, and sort of acid guru of in brazil at that time and he probably seemed very hip to her yes and then she began writing new songs and a totally different style than her Mutantes material. So um, then she teamed up with this woman named uh, Lucia Tur- Turnbull. Uh, her mother was Brazilian. Her dad was Scottish. And and she had opened for Os Mutantes in 1972. And so she and Rita Lee became quite friendly. And so they formed a folk duo called As Celebrinas do Eden. And the name was sort of invented by, by Lee to express the new sound she imagined. So she kind of felt she expressed at the time that she thought authentic music didn't shouldn't didn't need to be hidden behind showmanship and empty flash. Mm-hmm. That it should just be itself. 
Now, how long she stuck to this resolution was not very long, but this is what she she stated at the time. Uh, and Celebrina is a celebration. I think it's a celebration of like the coming of summer in the northeastern part of Brazil. So it's kind of like a a yearly celebration of sort of a, a you know like it's held on uh, on May thirty first. Oh, okay, okay. And there's a lot of like weird, weird, um, weird to me anyway. Mm. Kind of pageantry, pageantry, or things okay. around it. There's like a sword fight. Right. Where people fight with wooden swords. Okay. There's these races they have with boats that are powered by gunpowder. Cool. That run along cables to okay. keep themselves from crashing entirely. <laughs> and then they have like tons of fireworks and okay. all this kind of stuff like that. Sounds fun. And so the government has tried to like squash it many times. Right. It's, I guess it's considered dangerous. Yeah. I don't know. Driving boats powered by gunpowder. I don't know. How fighting to, with swords. Fighting with wooden swords in the streets. Oh, come on. And then they burn all the swords. Yeah. After the, after the battles. So Sick. I guess there's a lot of issues. Sorry, what's this, this called again? Celebrina. Oh, okay. I just need to know the name so that I, when I make my um my own version here, I can. <laughs> I know what it's called, <laughs> or you know, to visit that part of the ba- Bahia Bahia region of of uh, Brazil. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Sorry, it's a very uh, it's very much a musical area of Brazil. It's kind Bahia? of yeah. It's where like Catano Veloso and Gal Costa and, and all these people come mm-hmm. from that area. So um, so they formed this group. They had a bunch of new songs, and then they got. Their debut show was at a festival called the Phono Festival in 1973. And they were opening for Os Matanches, hmm. just to make it awkward. Yeah. And they didn't really have their own equipment because they were like a brand new band. Right. And so Ridley's husband, Mick Killingbeck, just convinced her to just use the Os Matanches equipment. It'd be fine. Mm-hmm. And so they just kind of piggybacked on theirs. Now, Os Matanches... Their equipment was designed for a rock and roll band that was playing really loud music to a big crowd of people. Right. Celebrinas Do Eden were a two-person folk group Mm. playing acoustic guitars while wearing fairy wings. Yes. So they weren't really... It wasn't like the best setup for them, is what I'm saying. So uh, before the show even started, Lucia Turnbull was so terrified, she couldn't even go on stage. She had to be pushed, forcibly pushed onto stage by a member of the road crew. And... And uh, they started playing, and then they couldn't hear themselves. Right. Because the monitors and stuff were just... so loud. It's just too much. And they went out of tune very quickly. Mm-hmm. They, not only did they, you know, they started singing out of tune, and uh, Lee felt the debut, they, their debut was just a failure, and she was very unhappy. And she pretty much, so she summed it up by saying, we sucked. <laughs> and so, um, now, what's interesting is Lee's former husband and bandmate, Arnold Baptiste, as we mentioned, he mentions... Celebrina on his solo album Loki, which I find really fascinating. It's so now it's hard to tell what the context is, but actually before we pl- before we talk about this, actually I want to play a Celebrina song so people can hear it, mm-hmm. just so they know what Ridley was doing before she moved on. So this is going to be Celebrina's Do Eden from their one album they recorded mm-hmm. that at the time was not released by Phillips, and we'll talk about that too. But let's listen to the song first, and then we'll come back and we will uh, talk about. Talk about more. Okay, things. Agora 
All right, so that was uh, Asilabrina Stoiden, or Aiden, however you say the name, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing all this Portuguese in a terrible way that's hurtful to Portuguese or to Portuguese and, and Brazilian people. But um, yeah, and so that is a band that you're hearing on that album because after the what Ridley saw as a failure, although there are people who enjoyed the show and their audience did applaud, but to her, the show was a failure. And after that, she kind of she kind of retreated, licking her wounds, and she joined up with a with a rock group that was called the Sergia, a very hip name at the time, I guess. And and I guess she felt kind of safer in the confines of a band, you know, that then you're in a group of people and you're not just this single, you know, you know, it's not just Rita Lee yeah. from Osmotanches on stage, but mm-hmm. she's part of a group of people. And so they backed Safety Re- in numbers. Yeah. So they backed Rita and Lucia on their one and only album as Celebrinas Do Eden. And like I say, it was not released at the time. And I think the reason for that was, well, Phillips, well, the, or I should say, the Os- Osmantanches kind of played right into Phillips' hands when they when they kicked Rita Lee out of the group or when she left the group. Um, and let me just say that it was the, um, I think I mentioned it last time, but it was when Phillips shelved this album, mm-hmm. that was what sparked Rita Lee to go and trash one of the executive's offices at Phillips Records. Oh, okay. She and another musician just went in and and... and tore the office apart <laughs> and then left right uh as a as a protest of that but phillips really wanted Rita Lee out of osmotanches because they wanted her to have a solo career they saw her as a superstar and they saw osmotanches as holding her back and so that's why they encouraged her to do a solo album in 1970 mm-hmm. that was build up that's why they probably why they would not let Usmatanches released two albums in 1972, but insisted one of them be credited as a, a Rita Lee solo album. And and that's why... Um, and so unlike, say, Arnaldo Baptista, who had left Usmatanches mm-hmm. and was recording his solo album, Loki, in this, at the same time, Rita Lee uh, was made to move down to Rio, Rio de Janeiro, where Philip's offices were, so that she and her band could be at hand there, living in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And then they could be guided by what was called um what the label was called um its working panel is what they called it and so this was a group of or working group this was a group of people who are sort of label label artists producers etc whose job was to steer the career of musicians at the label and so they were supposed to give advice and push the artists in in particular directions in order for them to get have a better career Hmm. and so and basically phillips wanted her to be a big star and so this is what this is why they're kind of molding her towards this and so atras de porto teng uma cidade was i mean i think they were right to see like i think that they what they saw in her was there oh yeah like, no they're not very wrong talented but this is not what she wanted but no exactly yeah. like you can't you can't force someone to be a star and the other thing i i feel like Record labels often do this, where they're like, we really like this person, we really like what they do, yeah. we love everything about them, so we are going to make every decision about how they act, and the kind of music they make, and how they perform, and make them something that we want them to be. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I thought that you liked them. And they're like, no, no, we do like them, <laughs> yeah. but we want them to be this. Yeah, yeah. This one specific thing. We want the public to like them. Yes. And they're not going to like them like this. They're going to like them as this polished new thing that we're going to make. And so, yeah, so when they did the album, it was produced by a producer named uh, Marco Mazzola, who, strangely enough, 
also produced Arnaldo Baptista. I keep bringing it up. Arnold, Arnaldo Baptista's solo album Loki. So he produced both these albums in the same year. But unlike Loki, which was just thrown on the trash heap by Phillips when it was done, <laughs> this you know put it out there, whatever. Here you go. It's got the ugliest cover ever seen by oh, human really? eyes. Yeah, it's just awful. Uh, Rita Lee was yeah massaged, you know, brought down to Rio. And the problem with bringing her down to Rio was was the best studios to record rock and roll. The best studio in Brazil to record rock and roll in was in Sao Paulo at the studio called El Dorado, which is where Os Matanches recorded all the time and lots of other groups recorded. And and that's where Loki was recorded. I keep bringing it up. Might as well bring it up again. What the label did was they wouldn't allow a Lysergian, now known as Tutti Frutti, probably as a tribute to the Little Richard song, which, are you looking at the album cover? It's ugly, isn't it? <laughs> That's terrible. It's really ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. Why'd they do that? Well, I'll talk about that album in a minute, Mary. I'll, we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute. I'll just, I'll just so finish weird. off. Yeah, I'll just finish off with that. <laughs> you have to post a picture I'll of it. I'll post a picture of it so people it's can so take a look. so ugly. Like, I don't know. What are they trying to go for here? <laughs> why, why are your shoulders so big? I think he's just a big guy. No, but why did they superimpose his shoulders behind him? Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it look like his head is supposed to be his shoulders and head. It makes it look like he's got like a big shoulders and a weird tiny head. Yeah, yeah. That is his own. Why? Looks yeah. bad. It's weird. So uh, let's just finish talking about... We'll finish okay. talking about... Uh, Sorry, I got distracted. Lee. You sure, sure did. We'll, we'll finish with Rita Lee, then we'll move on. We'll talk a little bit about that album. Okay. Because it is, it is fascinating to you me. You piqued my interest. So yes. To... No, no, it's fine. Like I say, so they wouldn't let the band play with her in the studio. They use session musicians for this album. So everyone on it is not actual members of Tutti Frutti. Oh, weird. That's why I put it in quotation marks. Right. It's all session people who are brought in so they could make it the best album. Mm. The best people. Mm. And so not only was there... Not only was there that, there was also studio interference with the final mix, and they added strings to songs without her without her knowledge. They did a lot of fishy stuff, and it's like in the movie Yesterday. Yeah, when he's trying to like the main character is trying to recreate all the Beatles songs. Yeah, but he's doing it like with this, all this um this like label intervention. Yeah, and they're like, what if it was called Hey Dude? Yeah, <laughs> like that's basically what we're talking about here yes yeah and then despite further state censorship of the album which of course happened at the time all records had to go through a a censor lee was still able to send out encrypted messages to friends to the record company and to her former bandmates now don't ask me what those messages were mary because that would involve me understanding portuguese which i do not so i'm just quoting i had to like carefully oh so carefully translate i know i guess i could use google translate but i'm I but have I mean, like a, I have a working knowledge of Portuguese, so I like to try and to figure it out myself. So I all the information I've gleaned were all from from Brazil, like Portuguese sites mm-hmm. talking about the music because you're not going to find this kind of information on uh, in English language no. sites because no one knows who Rita Lee is. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is even if you could read Portuguese, you may not be able to understand the understand idioms, and, yeah, the idioms and like the messages and like the specific references, the that slang she's making, and stuff right? like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because, yeah, like, yeah, she could also be making reference to, like, cultural things that, like, you don't understand because you're not Portuguese, right? Like, even if you understand the language, yeah. and even if you know the idioms, you might not understand that specific cultural reference, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Mare, so let's talk a little bit about, about Loki. Okay. Which is Arnold Baptista's solo album, if that's not been made clear by my possibly 14 different references to it <laughs> discussing this oh i want to say one more thing about him before i go on to this album though is that is that <clears throat> when rita lee was playing with her band tutti frutti 
as they were working up towards doing Atras de Porto, uh, he would show up at all her concerts, sit at the very front of the theater, and make disapproving faces while she was performing. Why? What? <laughs> I have no idea. What a jerk. <laughs> it's so weird. But here's the thing about Arnaldo, Arnaldo Baptista, is that he made a mistake that a lot of people made at this time. Getting divorced from Rita Lee? No. Oh. That was her choice, not his. Oh, okay. No, he he decided uh, to live on, on acid oh. for a, a good solid time. And that had an unfortunate effect on his mental well-being. And so Loki can join Skip Spence's Orr, mm-hmm. Sid Barrett's The Madcap Laughs, mm-hmm. the first Rocky Erickson album that came out. Rocky Erickson played in the 13th Floor Elevators. Mm-hmm. He was caught with drugs in Texas, which was a guaranteed... Uh, X number of years in a Texas prison, mm-hmm. or you could go to a mental institution, which mm-hmm. he opted to do instead of going to um, prison. But unfortunately, his experiences in a mental institution We're caused bad. some sort of bipolar, schizophrenic uh, problem. And so that affected him the rest of his life. LSD didn't help, by the way, which is what 13th floor elevators did yeah. all the time. So I, I don't think that... There's a lot I'm of no gambling ex- with your brain at this time. I'm no period. expert. Yeah. But I feel like going to a place that's supposed to help your mental state yeah. should not be so devastating that it gives you CPSD. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. pff, call me crazy. <laughs> What's CPSD? Sorry. Uh, cyclical post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably what he had. He yeah. was never quite the same after. Yeah. And uh, often, I, but I also think it often happens to people who are victims of abuse. Yeah, and I also think that he kind of was off center anyway because of like a a constant continual use of of acid and mm-hmm. stuff in his group, which they were real like acid, um, you know, acid messengers, heads. you know, acid heads. Oh. Yeah, like really pushing, yeah. pushing that as a as a way to live as a way to live. And I don't know if that's really good for your for your psyche. In some cases, some people are strong enough. You know, John Lennon went through it and came out of it pretty much okay. Yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, he certainly had a lot of drug um, dependency a- a- after that as well. But, but um, yeah, these are kind of famous albums because the people who made them were coming, were so damaged from their right. experiences. Didn't love, didn't love have a big drug problem? They did, but it was probably more heroin than oh, acid. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. They're not, they don't really, really talk about it. So um, I have a documentary about them I want to watch. I have, a, I have, I got, yeah. so I want to, I'll let you know more. Sorry. I've never read a book about them or anything, so hmm. I... anyway so um yeah so i'm gonna play a song from from loki so everyone can hear it just because i probably will never put it on a mixtape and this song or any song any song by i mean there's some okay songs on it but it's just it's kind of weird so it's not really for everybody right i try not to get too weird when i'm doing these things i like Mm. to kind of try and keep it a certain level of weirdness novelty mixes notwithstanding novelty mixes aren't weird mary okay so let's give a listen. This is uh, Arnaldo Baptista from his 1974 album Loki, and this song is were called... they still married in 1974? No, no, it, it, it only lasted like a couple of months before they were divorced. Wait, what's wrong? Well, Wikipedia said they were married until 1977. Maybe they were just separated, but then they didn't actually. Well, no, because she was married to Mick uh, Killingbeck at this point, oh. hmm. so she couldn't have been married to right. him. Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia. No, Mary. it's true. It's true. Read because you, you got to read the Brazilian stuff. Yes. They know more. That's fair. That's <laughs> they true. know more. They, they lived it. I'm over here on English Wikipedia looking at <laughs> Brazilian musicians like adult. <laughs> <laughs> what a nut. Also, I like to, when I'm doing this research, I like to put in the name of the record or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I'll put Blogspot. Uh-huh. Because that takes you away from like Wikipedia and all that stuff and sends you more into the world of blogs. Right. Where you can find, not always, but you can often find more, better researched information than you would find on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Just a 
tip to the wise out there if you're ever looking at bands. So uh, if you're doing uh, research for your competing music podcast. That's right. If you're doing a competing music podcast, that's a tip for you, computer. And let me know if you're doing a competing music podcast. Let me hear it. Let me know about it so I can listen to it. Yeah. Also, I like music. Re- recommend us to your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, no obligation. <laughs> All right. So here's uh, Arnaldo Baptista, everyone from '74. Você tá pensando que eu sou Loki, bicho? Sou malandro velho, não tenho nada com isso. Você tá pensando que eu sou Loki, bicho? Sou malandro velho, não tenho nada com isso. So that was um, Arnoldo Baptista. That was Arnoldo Baptista from his album Loki, with the song is called. Uh, I would translate this as "Do you really think I'm Loki?" That's how I would translate the this song hmm. title. I like to like try and put them idiomatically when I do translations, rather than the 
than the official. These are what the words are. I think the sa at the beginning of it, sa te pensando que, we can't remember all of it, sorry. Anyway, it's an interesting album. It was recorded, most of the songs were recorded in one take, except for ones like this that had orchestrations from the Tropicalista's maestro Ruggiero Duprat, who did almost all of the arrangements for all the tropical, tropical, tropicalia artists back in the 60s and early 70s. Oh, really? So, yeah, That's it was cool. kind of, it, yeah, it's a, it's a fun album. And, and actually, Rita Lee uh, sings backing vocals on two different songs on this album as well. This, cool. Which, whatever reason... Arnaldo Baptista still showed up at the shows and made disapproving faces while she was playing. <laughs> but anyway. What a weirdo. It was a strange, a strange time for him, I guess. He later lived with her as a house guest when he was uh, recovering from his uh, drug addiction. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's Rita Lee and Tutti Frutti, a group I like very much. I hope you all enjoyed that song. Oh, by the way. Yes? The lyrics for that song mm-hmm. are, uh, I don't believe in witches, but there are, there are. And it's, I don't know what, if, if it's, I'm not trying not too sure what she's saying because the song is song says secure the lock mm-hmm. witches are on the loose then it's kind of like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you are or the witches are in the room i should say it doesn't okay. matter where you are in the bath asleep in bed in your pajamas in bed mm-hmm. the witches are the witches are there and then it goes i don't believe in witches but there are there are hmm. <laughs> so yeah it's an interesting song and it has a really kind of like uh I think she draws a lot of from Led Zeppelin for it as well. Like I think the like the Mellotron that she's adding to it, it reminds the string the string parts remind me of um, like a lot of like stuff from uh, the album House of the Holy, mm-hmm. like Rain Song maybe or No Quarter kind of has that sound to me. But anyway, it's good stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to our next song, everyone. This is this is Stereo Lab, and the song is called One Small Step. It comes from a collection called Aluminum Tunes, Aluminum Tunes, that came out in 1998. Cool. So let's give it a listen. From the sky would fall an incessant rain of bombs. We had nowhere to go but retrieve underground.
Okay, and we're back. And uh, Mary, thoughts? Yes. Thoughts on this song? Thoughts on this song? Well, Dad. Yes. I think you know, probably, yeah. that I love this song. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. a really good song. It is a really good song. This is one of two songs in this on this mixtape that I had the name mixed up for. Oh. For the longest time, I thought this song was called The New Orthophony. Oh, weird. And for the longest time, I thought that Badfinger song Andy Norris was called Suitcase. Hmm. And it's just from misreading the label, I guess, okay. or misremembering. Because it does say Suitcase in Andy Norris. Mm-hmm. So and then I just thought, well, that song's Suitcase, obviously. And then and then uh, this one, it, the, the CD covers, the way the songs are listed, mm-hmm. it's confusing the way they did it. So it makes it look like the song, it's, it's like almost like reverse order. So I just I thought this song was called The New Orthophony. Until I heard that song on their album, Mars, uh, Mars Audiac Quintet. Okay. Which I got later than I got this one, because I found this one used somewhere. Right. And I uh, then I realized, oh, this is the new orthophony. Hmm. And that song is different. No, this is one small step. This is one small step. That yeah. that other song on, on Mars Audiac Quintet. Yes. Was the new orthophony. Yes. And so I was confused. Yeah. Hmm. And so then I, I. And you thought that that Gruffrey song that we are going to hear later was called "A Very Cafeteria." No, I did not. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's. I don't know who would think that. I don't know what kind of nut would think that, Mary. <laughs> So, oh, but what one thing I was gonna say about this yeah, sure. Stereo Lab song, yeah, please do. is that I like the song a lot, mm-hmm. and it feels like their only real narrative song. Okay, yeah, pro- possibly. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's the penultimate truth, the Philip K. Dick novel. Oh, I didn't know that. It's not, but it just reminds me of it because it's about people living underground mm-hmm. after a nuclear attack. Cool. Well, yeah, because like I feel like most Stereo Lab. Or songs like their lyrics don't really like you can't really follow them. They're all not... no, you know what sometimes, but sometimes you can. Like yeah. it just depends. Like some some of them are very um, strident in their uh, appeal to for to for socialism. Mm. Okay, yeah, but like I, I never felt before like there's one that's like a story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah no, most of them are more word salads. I yeah, find. like yeah. they're it's like a combination of like thoughts, like, kind of like Fleet Foxes. Yeah. Right, where it's or like mo- let's face it, most lyrics to me are yeah. like that. I mean, it's just like a bunch of things. But like, I think Fleet Foxes, especially, is like they just are giving you a bunch of things, a bunch of like different words and phrases that evoke different feelings or imagery, rather than telling you like a cohesive story. This one is more of a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love her singing so much in this song. Oh, well, it's pretty typical of her singing style. I'd I know, say. but I just love it all the time. I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's when I was saying last time that I'm not a huge fan of like women's voice, like women singing in a really kind of loud, strident rock voice, which, you know, obviously there's exceptions to every rule. But yeah, I kind of like, I like Letitia Sadie's voice over top of like when they're playing like a rock, like a kind of grinding thing. And then she's just sort of singing with her own, yeah, doing her own thing over top of it. I, I like that a lot. I like the kind of, I don't know, I like that sort of abstracted vocal, I guess, if I can describe it that way. Mm hmm. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about Stereo Lab in the yeah. past, so I don't think we really need to talk too much more about yep. them. But uh, let me just say, this is a, a great collection, Aluminum Tunes. It's hard to find their stuff now. So bad. this this song is not on an album, then? It's just on a collection? It's on a collection, yeah. It was, uh, it was from an EP. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so Aluminum Tunes, this album, Aluminum Tunes, which is called Switched On Volume 3, mm-hmm. the original Switched On, and another one called Refried Ectoplasm, are all collections of of songs. And then there's a later box set that was called Ocelons from the Anti-Sun. And that one, I think, is a kind of further refinement of the Switched On series into one collection. Although 
they probably left stuff off and added different things to, to right. make it more confusing for everyone. Of course. But that's how they work it. Cool. All right, let's move on to your next song, Mary. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so this is uh, Melior Jones. The song is called How to Recognize a Work of Art, which I think is a great title. I love it so much. But this is uh, from 2016. The album is New. called 2013. Oh. <laughs> so here we go, everyone. Let's listen to How to Recognize a Work of Art. How to Recognize a Work of Art by Adrian Melia Jones.
And we're back. That was Melia Jones, as he's mm-hmm. called. Mary, what did you think of that song? Well, the first time I listened through to this mix, yeah. I was like, hmm, I don't like the song very much. Okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but then I had it stuck in my head all day. <laughs> so I guess I'm wrong about that. I guess it is actually a very good song. Very, ca- because... very catchy, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I thought so too. I was like listening through to it. And I, you know, like I was listening through to like the the mix and I heard like a whole bunch of different songs. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, like going around my day, that was the one that I had stuck in my head. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, like and I like I knew the, those first two songs. Like yeah. I know other songs that we have coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this one. That's stuck interesting. In my head. That's funny. And I can see why you don't like it, because it really is a throwback to a kind of eighties style uh blue eyed soul sound that was mm. very popular. In, in from England at that time anyway. Right. They really remind me a lot of well, two bands. One one sort of Dexys Midnight Runners, but with a better singer. Okay. Because Kevin Rowland, for all his good qualities, he also has bad qualities, but all his good qualities, he is not a great singer. He sounds more like a yelping seal, you know, fronting a, a an R and B group. But also Haircut 100, a band that I am inordinately fond of, although I shouldn't be, because that should be on people's guilty pleasures list, because they were a a very preppy pop group from England in the mid-80s. Never heard of them. Well, of course not, because they were from England, and they did not break here at all. I think I've heard lots of bands from England. I don't have them on CD. That's a problem. I only have the records that I bought when I was a teenager, Mm. so I don't don't have the... uh, yeah, the ability to listen to them in the car. Yeah, I can't listen to the car, and so you didn't really get to hear them. And I, maybe at that point, I wasn't like, I didn't put a lot of 80s stuff on mixtapes at that point, because I was kind of, probably kind of over the 80s. That's fair. In the 90s, I was like trying to like put that behind me. So I, I probably put that terrible decade behind you. Yeah, it was a fine decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a decade of my youth. You know, I, I got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got uh, humiliated mm-hmm. several times. Mm-hmm. I got... Cancer. No, that was 90s. Oh, okay. I got, um, well, I probably had it, but I didn't know it at the time. Right. So maybe I did. I guess you could say that's true. I got, you know, just various forms of, you know, dismissal. Sure. And uh, outright. Probably dumped. Outright failure. Dumped. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not even that far. Just, you know, just the door closed before I even right. put my hand, Reje- my hand on the door. I believe that's called being rejected. Yeah, rejection. Yeah, I suffered all, all those things. It was mm-hmm. a great, great decade. I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. But also in that decade was Haircut 100. Right. Who played like pop music with a horn section to mm. it. And that's what this remind- yes. this really reminds me of. Also, it. you met mom. Yeah, that was a good thing. Yeah. That was a good thing. So, Malier Jones wrote this album in 2013, and the reason it's called that is because it, it was such a transformative year for him. Mm. He'd been in a group for eight years mm-hmm. called Racehorses, and they broke up in 2013. He'd been in a six-year relationship with a woman. They broke up in 2013. Okay. And so, he had these two life-changing events that really like threw him for a loop, but he went into like a major depression, and he decided on a whim just to travel to Rome, and he just went to Rome, and he lived there for six weeks. Okay, cool. I uh, just lived in an apartment with some other Italian people. He didn't speak Italian, but he lived in this apartment with the Italian right. people. He started writing songs there, and so these uh, th- these songs kind of made up the skeleton of, of this album. This song is the most poppy, but also the most atypical. The rest of the songs are more kind of like harpsichord, like chamber pop kind of songs. It's very okay. it's a very good album, though. Really good. I highly recommend it. If you're interested in hearing it, it's, it's available on Bandcamp, everyone. Cool. Good to know. All right. So do you want to move on to our next song, Mary? Sure. Let's hear it. All right. So when I was saying that we're, there's going to be more weirdos on this side, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of meant Malia Jones because this was someone people most people don't know. I think right. that, that's pretty left field. But also, I mean, even if you've heard Rita Lee and you've heard Stereo Lab, I kind of think maybe you never never heard Malia Jones. And these guys, but are, I mean, and also the Stereo Lab song that you chose was 
from an EP yeah. <laughs> from a collection. Yeah. Like it's not like it's one of their most well known yeah. songs yeah. or one from an album that most like people who But it's one of my favorites. So right. Yes, no, yeah. so I can yeah, yeah same. <laughs> um yeah. wasn't just because it's obscure, it's because it's No no I I know I'm not trying to my, say that. I'm just saying that you know, people who even people who like have a passing familiarity with Stereo Lab might not know that song. Yeah, yeah. One small step. Yeah. All right. So uh speaking of weirdos, uh-huh. This is the Holy Motor Rounders. Oh, them again? <laughs> I think we haven't played them that often, have we? We played them once before, I think. Once before, yes. From their album Good Taste is Timeless. From 1971, this is Black Bottom. Mary said, I don't know what that song means, and I don't think I want to. <laughs> Let's start off, Mary, with the amazing fact that this song was produced by the amazing Bob Duro. Oh, I don't know who that is. One of my personal heroes. Okay. Uh, he was the creator of Schoolhouse Rocks. Oh, right. Schoolhouse uh, Rock. Schoolhouse Rock series. And he um, was a jazz singer. Worked a lot, worked a lot with Blossom Deary, someone else I admire greatly. We have greatly. talked about him before. Yeah. Uh, sang, with, sang with Miles Davis, who mm. was described in Miles Davis's autobiography as that crazy jazz singer, Bob Duro. <laughs> and that's Miles Davis talking. 
And so, yeah, it's uh, he's someone I really really like a lot. He also did vocal arrangements for the Fugs for their for their uh, seminal album. It crawled into my hand, honest. And yeah, I just really ad- admire him. And I think it's just I think it's hilarious that he re- that he did these albums, which I you know I didn't know. Like I was a fan of Bob Duro before I knew who he was, and even before I knew that he produced these albums, you know, work right. with the Fugs, work with the Holy Motor Rounders, two groups I really like a lot. It's just kind of funny that I, I um, this is I don't know. This those kind of connections are, are interesting to me that you can like someone and for one thing, and then they comes around and something else that you like, and it's yeah. just that weird well, small world element yeah. of, of uh, the hip, I guess. Yes. The hip and happening. So this song, Mary, mm-hmm. I think it's about a brothel. Okay. I think that's because it mentions a two hundred, which was a treatment for for crabs, which is a form of. Uh, sexually transmitted usually sexually transmitted yes uh, i'm aware okay <laughs> so so that's that's the mention of the song so that's what i, I kind of think where they're going with it now as you know mare mm-hmm. the run the runner's career is weird yes as are they practically practically as fractured as their psyches is yes. how i would like to put it so yeah they began as a folk duo okay released two of the kind of uh well once again seminal folk albums of the early 60s um, were the first band to use the word psychedelic, or first group, first like group or you know musicians ever put the word psychedelic in, as a lyrical thing, right? You know, so they were kind of ahead of the whole psychedelic scene of the the mid '60s. In fact, when the psychedelic scene of the mid '60s started, they were they were like, ugh, been there, done that. <laughs> they they uh, packed that in to join the Fugs. I think they're both sick of each other right. in reality. Peter Stamfel was ready to quit because he couldn't work with with uh, Steve Weber anymore, and the Weber came to him and said, "You know what? I was just ran into these Ed, Ed Sanders and and Coverberg, and they decided to form their own group, and they're doing these great songs. They're like all these like weird sex lyrics, and they're mm-hmm. they're uh, putting po- uh, poetry to to you know putting like Swinburne to, to music, but they don't they don't know how to play any instruments. So I said we would come and help them. We'd play song, you know play with them. So so they they joined the Fugs, and they're on the first couple of Fugs albums, and then Stamfel left that because he really could not stand working with Weber. And then he formed another group called the Moray Eels, which he played in with uh, actor, playwright Sam Shepard, and a guy named Dave Levy, and his girlfriend Antonia. And they did that for a while. And then they did do an album, though, as the Holy Motor Rounders for for ESP Records. Okay. ESP Disc in, in uh, New York City that was a Esperanto label hmm. that, for whatever reason, would release just about anybody. But they released some fantastic stuff. They probably didn't pay anybody any money, but they released the Fugs, the Rounders, Patty Waters, the jazz singer, mm-hmm. uh, El- uh, Albert Ayers. Oh, sorry, Albert Eiler. What am I thinking about? Albert Eiler, the the uh, avant-garde jazz saxophonist. They released the first track ever by the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. on a on an interesting album called The East Village Other, which is a record that also features Steve Weber doing boobs a lot for the first time, which also features on this album. Good Taste is Timeless. So it was quite an interesting label, but they put out um, Indian War Whoop, which is just a mess of an album, just an absolute nightmare. And the CD is even <laughs> more of a nightmare because it's one track. Oh. So you can't like skip from song to song. I or... hate that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then they also did the Moray Eels, Eat the Holy Motor Rounders, yep. where the group, the Moray Eels, me- merged with the Holy, with the Holy Motor Rounders and they, they ate them. According to the title, for two guys who hated working together, they sure seem to end up working together a lot. Well, that's because their reputation—they're such legends, right—in music industry that even though their legend was so destructive, yeah, 
people couldn't help but want to work with them because they thought they could make them into the next thing, right? Right. They're like, okay, these guys are insane. Yes. They're drug addicts. Yeah. They're not not just drug addicts. They're hard drug addicts. Yes. They're not like fun drug addicts. They're not fun drug addicts. These guys are like, (laughs) you know, like speed freaks and and possibly heroin users. At this point, I'm not too sure. I know later that there was some some of that stuff going on. Right. They were like, they weren't like using it. They're not. They're not using to like chill down after a long day on Wall Street or no, whatever. This was like a. Yeah, they're this, like addicts. This is like their lifestyle yes. was like based around this stuff, right? By this point, what started as fun became a job. And so they did. They did the Mori Eels, the Holy Motor Rounders, which was produced by a guy. It's not his real name. His name was like Barry Goldberg or something like that. But he changed his name to Fraser Mohawk, and he decided that he was going to make. The whole the Holy Model Rounders a hit, but what he did instead was he just like during the mixed down sessions for the album he like cut out almost all the instrumentation and left songs with just vocals with no other instrumentation happening. Weird. Or cut out like. Is he a big acapella fan? <laughs> or he cut out like <laughs> one guitar player he just left out entirely out of the mix for the whole album. Weird. And just all kinds of weird choices were made, and then he also ch- decided to not have any spaces between the songs, which Don't is okay like if you're, okay if you're the Beatles. Mm. But really hard for any kind of radio play hopes that you might have. And if the, if the, if they actually thought the Moray Eels was going to get radio play, they had another thing coming. But okay, that's fine. <laughs> but he did made a lot of weird decisions. And the album, you know, is it is what it is. It does, however, feature Sam Shepard forgetting the word, words to the Pledge of Allegiance at the end of the album, which is quite fun. <laughs> then it's like uh, me singing "O Canada" with the residents, and they're all getting the words wrong. <laughs> Like, I guess you guys don't have it. I guess I have. I'm the person here who has most recently sung it the most <laughs> because I still remember having to sing it um, at like school assemblies and stuff. Yeah. They're yeah. quite a ways past that. Mm. I'm sure I'll get That's to sad. that point. Yeah. Yeah. But for a while, I can still sing it. So, yeah. I think. So. Although apparently, um, you might be interested in this. Apparently, music memory yeah. is one of the longest lasting memories. Yeah, it's impressive, actually. Yeah, even when people forget most other things, they can still remember music. Mm. There's that documentary about Glenn Campbell, who had Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. And, but he could still sing and play guitar, even though he couldn't remember his own daughters. Yeah, yep. You know, so he's forgetting all, all that he did. And he, he admits in the movie that he's, you know, he knows he'll soon forget how to play the guitar. Oh, he's like aware that he had well. Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. that's sad. Yeah. I don't know if it's worse when people are aware or they're not aware. Mm-hmm. It's both. It's all bad. Well, I mean, you're aware for a while, then you're not aware of it, of course. Some people aren't aware of it at all. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, really? It happens yeah. that fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his would seem more gradual. Yeah. Hmm. No, we have one resident who is totally like, um, like total. Like, I don't know if she's in denial mm. or if it's just her memory is so bad that she doesn't realize. Mm. But yeah, she does not has like no comprehension of her memory being bad, and she just blames everyone else for her not knowing things wow which yeah crazy mm-hmm. so yeah so there was this company called metro media they were like a syndic- syndicate of television stations and whatnot mm-hmm. and they decided to start a record record label and so they became metro media records their their biggest signing was this this kind of bubblegum singer from the late 60s called bobby sherman very popular poster in teenage girls bedrooms you know mm-hmm. feature of tiger beat magazine and and teen and whatnot and but this label knew so little about music, dear, that they signed them Holy Motor Rounders for for a, for an album. We're going to make these guys a star, they said. And so uh, the label lasted about five years. And decisions like this tell us why. Right. But um, 
So I think the reason they did, though, is because there's a song on the Mora Eels, the Holy Mora Rounders, called The Bird Song, or A Bird Song. Mm-hmm. It was used on the soundtrack to Easy Rider, which was a big hit soundtrack. And so Metro Media were probably thinking, well, everyone's going to know who they are because they'll have bought the soundtrack to Easy Rider. And so they're going to be like, oh, these guys did Bird Song. I got to get this record. So so they they produced this album. So they hired Bob Duro to produce it. Mm-hmm. It had Scotty Moore who was Elvis's guitar player in his heyday, in his 50s rockabilly phase before the army and Hollywood beckoned. Uh, and Scotty Moore was the engineer on the, on, the, uh, on the album. And even Elvis's former drummer, DJ Fontana, plays, lends a hand and plays hand, uh, tambourine on this song. Peter Stamfel has mentioned, has declared a dislike for this album, saying that he felt, thought it was too stiff and too slick at the time. But then he admits that part of that was their fault when they finished recording the album, they decided rather than wait in Nashville, they've recorded in Nashville, rather than wait in Nashville and, and so, so Scotty Moore could mix it there, they decided to take the tapes with them to New York City. So they drove a thousand miles from, from uh, Nashville to New York City, where they performed a, at a uh, record launch party for the, for the album, completely exhausted from their long trip, played terribly, you know, burned a bunch of bridges with the, with the record people mm-hmm. at, the, at the label. And then, they, and then the mix he thought was just a terrible mix, but he does admit that he's listened to it since then and th- thinks it sounds better like I, I agree it's very polished but i think that kind of works in its favor especially with songs where have that have like a vocal mix to them i think bob duro really comes through with his with uh the vocal stuff like like this song the vocals are great i think living off the land has like a great backing vocal bit that they do together boobs a lot of course is like just a real vocal work of like a real vocal work of art and this is a group of people that you know, like Steve Weber, the reason that he and Peter Stample broke up was that Steve Weber refuses to rehearse. Like he was not, a, he will not rehearse. But somehow Bob Duro was able to convince him to like spend the time to learn these parts so that they could do them in, 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 in with harmony, not just as a, as a kind of a, a racket. So that's yeah, pretty, pretty good. But what's interesting, Mary, was mm-hmm. I, I discovered something while I was listening to Birdsong today for the heck of it, because I was reading about it and I had to listen to it. Sure. Is it... I, I learned a little while ago, this song is, is a ripoff another, of another song. Really? Yeah. Which song? And I'm going to play it for you right now, everybody. So we're going to okay. start with Bird Song. This is the Holy Motor Rounders from their classically uh, drug-addled album from the late 60s, The Moray Eels Eat the Holy Motor Rounders. This is probably one of the more normal songs from the album. This is Bird Song, which you may have also heard on the Easy Rider soundtrack. So let's give this song a listen, and then we're going to follow it with its clone, which is the original version of the song with different lyrics. Okay. Let's give it a listen, everybody. Bird, 
Inside your heart, maybe I would know the reason why you were leaving me all alone. Well, you know it's not so when you say it tight, well, you know you lie. I didn't do one wrong thing to you. Won't you tell me, baby, why you went and left me here so lonely? I miss you only, or I love you. Sad, so you'd be mad enough to hurt me and desert me for so long. Well, you're telling everyone what you've done. You think it's funny? Well, listen, honey, you've done me wrong. Well, you know it's not so when you say it tight. Well, you know you lied. I didn't do one wrong thing to you. Won't you tell me, baby, why you went and left me here so lonely? I miss you only, or I love you.
Won't you tell me, baby, why you went and left me here so lonely? I miss you only, for I love you. All right, we're back. That was, that was, uh, so I had to change, I had to switch things up. Mary uh, pointed out that the version of If You Want to Be a Bird from Maury Eels is too abstracted by its uh, performance and its strange production to work as a hint to the, the connection between these two songs. So I'm, I actually ended up playing a later version of the song from a Holy Motor Rounders album called Last Round that came out, in, I think, in 1978, which featured the touring member, a touring members of the Holy Motor Rounders who also made up the clam tones for Jeffrey Fredericks. And so you, it's a bit busier in terms of instrumentation. And then they added the off we go into the wild blue yonder at the end of the song as well, just for funsies. And then we followed with the so- uh, Ray Price with the song You Done Me Wrong, which came out, I believe, in 1959. So one influenced the other. I'm not going to say which. But yeah, I'm sorry you couldn't hear the Maury Eels version. It's, it's uh, insane, but it's maybe too insane to, ma- to make my point. But anyhow, I think they're very similar, Mary. What, do you, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I thought they were pretty similar. Yeah. 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 You can see uh, Antonia, who is credited with writing um, If You Want to Be a Bird, or a bird song, this is also called. She, uh, I guess she maybe inadvertently added lyrics to a tune that she already knew and she those days were a little those days were a little faster and looser though with uh, rules over what you could and couldn't do with other people's material nowadays it'd be a lot different you have to you get uh, the record company in your butt but here's something i learned mary while i was re- researching this and that is is that the soundtrack for this play that sam shepherd wrote called operation sidewinder which when it was performed featured the holy motor rounders playing songs in between scenes so they were like in the orchestra pit and they would play song, like play rock songs during this play. And the play was recorded for Elektra Records, but it was never released. So my feeling is, come on, Elektra, release that material. Come on. I mean, even it almost feels like it's too late because no one cares about this stuff anymore, at least in the CD era. You know, record labels had some reason to release this stuff because they could make a little money off of it. But now, like, who cares? But anyway, mm-hmm. it would have been would have been nice to hear that. But anyway, okay. Next song, Mayor. Yes. Um, do you know who Don Grady is? Uh, no. Well, Don Grady was an actor in the in the nineteen sixties, early seventies, who performed on a television sitcom called My Three Sons that he was on with Fred McMurray, uh-huh. who played his father. Okay. It had he... had William Demarest, mm-hmm. famous for his many roles in Preston Sturge's movies. Mm-hmm. You know the the movie The Lady Eve. Yes, I do. And Henry Fonda. Yep. And his his uh, person who kind of looks after him, the kind of gruff guy. Oh okay, yeah. He says, "I swear that was the same dame." That's uh, right. William Demarest. Oh. Okay. But later on, on My Three Sons, he played Uncle Charlie. That was my first my first exposure gotcha. to William Demarest, the magic of William Demarest. But Don O'Grady was pl- one of the sons. He was one of the sons. He played Chuck. Okay. No, sorry. Was it Chuck? I, I'm gonna say Chuck. I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I am. I I caught it near the end of its time. Like when I watched it, I think he might even not have been there for the final season. Oh, really? And it ended in '71, and I was probably I was still pretty young then. I do remember it being on TV, but just not very much about it. So, so yeah, so um, so let's listen to a Don Grady song. This is "Impressions with Savon that came out on the Canterbury label in 1967. Don uh, Grady played Robbie. Oh, thank you. Backed with "Leaving It Up to You." I was probably getting Chuck mixed up with the guy from Happy Days. There was a chip. Ah, chip, yeah. And then and there was, because it was Uncle. Uh, oh, Uncle Ernie? Yeah. And what um, was? Oh, no, Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie, sorry. And then Ernie was the small, the youngest kid. Yes. And there's also a Mike. 
That was um, the, the dad? dad. Yeah. That was, okay. I believe. It's been a while. Anyway, let's listen to Impressions with Savon from 1967, everybody, while Mary looks up my three sons. What did you think of Impressions with Savon by Don Grady? I thought it was fun. Fun? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a pop psych. Yes. Pop psych fun. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Don Grady was uh, started off as a musician. Okay. He could play drums, piano, guitar, trumpet, and he was a musketeer. Oh. Which he was... He, he got when he auditioned for them, he got him because of his musical ability. He got mm. to be a, a musketeer. How old was he when he was a musketeer? Uh, I guess he was a kid, like a little kid, probably in his before he was eleven, oh, before okay. he was ten, whatever. Because he was uh, eleven years, he was on my three, my three sons. So, right. You know, he was only in his twenties when he left that show. Mm, okay. So yeah, he was probably probably on as like a late at late. My three sons was a Disney show. No, it was not. Oh. I think it was on. It was on two different stations. I think it was on ABC for a while, then it moved to CBS. And uh, why do you think it was a Disney show? 
Disney didn't really do TV shows in those days. Right. No, I just thought... The way that you think of them now. Um, he was a contract player with Walt Disney. Right. No, it was just something on the Wikipedia page. Oh. But I guess it was just a quote from someone who's a producer at Disney commenting on the similarities between that show and the movie The Shaggy Dog. Oh, which also starred Fred McMurray. And had the same dog. Okay. I guess. <laughs> Interesting. And the same kids. Or no. like No. Well, not the same kids, but it also had kids. Yeah. Huh. It was a natural. Why didn't Disney think of this? And um, yeah, and on the show, Don played, like later on in the show, he played in a, in a Beatles-like band called The Griefs, G-R-E-E-F-S, which of course was like a TV cash-in on the Beatles, you know, so if you, you could have a band on the show. And also the monkeys were happening, so it just seemed like the thing to do. And also Ricky Nelson did it before on the Ozzy and Harriet show, mm-hmm. where he started playing in a band on the show and it became its own thing and probably you know whoever was doing the abc whoever was producing at that point were probably like oh it's a good kind of cash in or whatever and they did like a really great kind of beatly sound i'm going to play a song by him called leaving it up to you Mm -hmm. that actually was the b-side to this this single but it was done well before uh this song was recorded it was recorded a couple not well before but a couple years before right and played as the griefs in the TV show. So mm. let's give this song a listen, everyone. This is Leaving It Up To You by Don Grady. Uh, at this point, it would have been as The Griefs, but it was it was credited to Don Grady on the single. So here we go. First I took showed you all about then I told you my love was true do you understand I've done all I can now I'm leaving it up to you I have spent my hours even sent you flowers there is nothing I can through can't you see it's hard I can go so far now I'm leaving it up to you if you think it's late and I'm irritating you, I'll get out of your head. But if you decide to give it a ride, then I'll pick it up from there. We could gaze at stars, we could make them ours. There is so much that we could do. It takes two to find what I have in mind. So I'm leaving it up to you. Uh, very beatly and that reminds me mary and i forgot to mention this when we were playing um as celebrina's do eden was that the opening of that song is very much like kind of a steal from a little bit of a quote from eight days a week by the beatles oh, i forgot okay. to mention that if you don't believe me go back and listen to it i'll have the time codes in the uh in the notes of course 
So Grady also had a minor hit on the Canterbury label, in the Pacific Northwest anyway, with a song called The Children of, S- of St. Monica, as Don Grady and the Wind Up Watch Band, all one word. And that band featured Daryl Dragon, who would go on to work with the Beach Boys, most notably with Dennis Wilson, the song Lady, which we played here on, on their very own Sneaky Dragon listening party. And he later became the captain of Captain and Tennille. But now, the real linchpin of the story, though, is this guy named Gary Zeekly. Okay. Now, Gary, Gary Zeekly? Gary Zeekly, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a, or maybe Zeckley, I don't, I don't know for sure. But he was a t- super talented but kind of obscure musician who was working in the popular surfing vocal sound of the time. So with the likes of, like, Brian Wilson, Gary Usher, Dan Barry, Dean Torrance, Roger Christian, Terry Melcher, Bruce Johnson, Steve, uh, um, sorry, Phil Sloan, P.F. Sloan, and then uh, Steve Barry. Okay. Who all, um, all, all of them were kind of behind the scenes movers and shakers in the, in the very burgeoning surf scene of, of music scene of, of the early 60s. It was, inc- you know, just an incredible burst of, of, of popularity in this. I mean, it's, it's kind of obscure to us now. The Beach Boys are basically what have come down to us. Maybe Wipeout by the Safaris and a couple other, you know, tequila, you know, by the Ventures and stuff. Yeah. Maybe a few songs. Or the Champs did tequila. The Champs did tequila. <clears throat> Walk Don't Run by the Ventures. You know, just mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's come, come, but most of it, Dick Dale, I suppose, Miserloo. Yeah. There's a few, but at that time, it was just like unlimited, like an avalanche of songs because, you know, it's just how it is. Like, right. soon as soon as something becomes popular, there's, there's a whole a m- bunch of it. Million people. And then we t- only remember the best. That's right. Yeah. We don't remember all the cash ins and everything yeah. else that went on with well, it. Yeah, I always find it funny when people are like, oh, media is so bad nowadays. Yeah. Like, I wish that we only, like, we had good media like Shakespeare. It's like, well, <laughs> like, I'm yeah. sure we have, like, equivalently good stuff now. Yeah. It's not like they definitely had lots of trash back then, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, they absolutely had lots of trash people just trying to make Shakespeare knockoffs. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like... Or that terrible band, the Bear Baiters. So awful. What? Bear baiting was popular then, Mary. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry, I stunned you. No, it's fine. It's just, you know, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, okay. But yeah, it's like, you know, of course, we're we're getting we're we're always going to be getting the worst of media, yeah, yeah. because that's how media works. Not everything's going to be great, yeah, right? Yeah, like you got to take your uh, you got to take your movies like um, Winchester along with your movies like Fargo, right? Sure, you got to take your Green Books <laughs> with your Mad Max Fury Roads. Okay, okay. I just I like your going like really. Like, how about your green book with your Moonlight? Yeah, I haven't seen Moonlight. I just kind of like, because it's the same actor. Okay, yeah, in yeah. In both films. One's, right. one's a lot better than the other. Yep. How about your Winchester mm-hmm. with your... Midsummer. Midsummer. No, that's a Hereditary. Hereditary, okay. That's yeah. a better movie, in my opinion. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. You disagree? You disagree with me? Mm, I don't know. I think they achieve different things. I just think Hereditary is scarier. Hereditary is definitely scarier. And I, when I see a horror movie, but, I don't want to go, hmm, I want to go. <gasps> but I did. I I do know some people who said that they thought Midsommar was scarier. Really? Yes. Which I was surprised by. Me too. Yeah. Maybe they're scared of bear costumes. I like to joke that they're all just really bad boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Scary Zeekly, un- un- unlike... The preceding names that I listed, which mm-hmm. meant nothing to you, but... They meant nothing to me. You know Brian Wilson. Wait. Beach Boys. Wait, what preceding names you listed? Brian Wilson. Uh-huh. Beach Boys. Yes. Gary Usher. Again, no. Sagittarius. Mm. 
We've listened to them. Okay. Worked with Kurt Betcher. Mm, okay. Um, I believe you. <laughs> I have no reason not to. Also, also wrote with Brian Wilson. Wrote in my room with Brian Wilson a couple of songs before he was chased off by Brian's dad. Oh, okay. Uh, Jan Berry mm. and Dean Torrance. Jan and Dean. Mm. Surf City. Mm. Two girls for every mm. boy. The little old lady from Pasadena. Oh yeah, yeah. That's Jan and Dean. I know that one. <laughs> um, Roger Christian. Nope. Wrote wrote a lot of songs with with Brian Wilson, like okay. four oh nine and right. and Don't Worry Baby and songs okay. like that. Uh, which we were just talking about today because we were listening to a song that sounded a lot like Don't Worry Baby when we were driving here. Oh, yeah. And then um, Bruce Johnson later joined the uh, Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Now, P.F. Sloan and Steve Barry, a little more obscure, but they, they they started the grassroots, which I believe we've talked about them as well. So well, we have talked about P.F. Sloan. Yeah. Because we've listened to him and we've listened to a song named after him. That's right. We listened to the Jimmy Webb song, P.F. Sloan. Yeah. What a great song. And we listened to his The Elves song. No, that was not P.F. Sloan. Oh, what? That was John Simon. Oh. What song of his did we listen to? I don't think we listened to a P.F. Sloan song. Really? I think we did. I mean, we might have, but I don't. But it wouldn't hmm. have been by him, but it would probably been someone doing a P.F. Sloan song. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure what that would have been. Okay, well. Just not ring a bell. If anyone out there remembers, if anyone out there has been keeping tally, marking at home. I don't they have been. Scoring at home. But. Let us know. So, like I, uh, I was just going to say, yeah. So, unlike those guys, though. Gary Zeekly didn't have like any financial backing when he right. started. Like he didn't wasn't signed to a major label. He didn't have he didn't have the 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 industry ins to 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 you know get his foot in the door. To so he produced several great records at the time. A song called "Other Town, Other Girls" under his own name for Fred Astaire's label Ava, which weirdly has an umlaut over the A. I thought that was strange. Hmm, that is strange. Very pedantic. Uh, he worked with Dean Torrance of Jan and Dean on Alder Ray's "Cause I Love Him." Oh, sorry, he did. Sorry, he did the song. Other Towns, Other Girls with Dean Torrance. With Alder Ray, he worked with Marshall Lieb, who was in the Teddy Boys with Phil Spector. And then he did a song called Missing My Baby for Clyde King, but none of them were chart successes. So he wasn't really, there wasn't even working for him there. Uh, so Dean Torrance and he continued to work together off and on. And then, so that for instance, Dean Torrance put up the money for him to do a cover, uh, record a cover of the Jamie Summertime Summertime. Hmm. You know that song? Nope. Uh, as our gang, which also featured Torrance on vocals, uh, summertime is one that goes summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime, 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 oh, okay. some, some, summertime. Yeah, I know that one. It's kind of a doo-up song from the time yeah. period. And then what happened was Jan Barry, despite the warning of his own song called "Dead Man's Curve," which tells you to not go into Dead Man's Curve too fast because you're gonna you're gonna regret it. It was in a terrible car accident in Dead Man's Curve and was uh, suffered brain damage. Really? Yeah. Weird. Yes, weird and ironic. That is weird. It's it's pretty rare that people end up being hoist by their own petard like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like end up suffering serious injury after telling people yeah. about that thing, about that very thing. Yeah, you know? it's strange. Yeah. Hmm. Now he was the main songwriting part of, of Jan and Jan and Dean, and so Dean right. Torrance needed material, so he turned to Gary Zeckley for material, and and Dean Torrance was working on a quote unquote Jan and Dean album, basically a solo album, but. He was the high voice, Dean Torrance. He had the really high voice. Like, okay. I remember listening to the Beach Boys' Barbara Ann, which he's a guest on, and he does, okay. like, the really, like, piercingly high part of the Barbara Ann. Right. So he was working on this solo album, and he really liked the song by Gary Seekley called Yellow Balloon. And so he was doing it for the album, and Gary Seekley happened to be there one day when he was working on it, and he hated it. He hated the production that Dean Torrance was doing. Mm. And he's just like, he was thinking to himself, well, this is such a great song. This is the hit song. And this guy's going to make it into not a hit song. Right. So he immediately like went from record company to record company mm-hmm. looking for someone who would listen to his song and yeah. believe him that this was going to be a hit. And he finally 
went to this uh, record company called Canterbury Records, whose president, Ken Handler, finally said yes. He played it for him and he said, yes, I think this is a hit. And Zeke convinced had to convince him that they had to rush release this right. because they had to beat the Jan and Dean version into the stores. Oh, okay. Otherwise, they, they would have the, the beat on them. Yeah. So Handler agreed to this. So basically, he put he stopped production on what they're doing and they turned all their focus on this one single. Oh, wow. Which they rush released. And now Canterbury Records had deep pockets mm. because Handler's parents were the founders of Mattel Toys. They were the creators oh. of, of Barbie. Ken and Barbie yes. were their creations. So yeah. they had a lot of money in their pockets. I know Mattel. <laughs> there you go. We had their ginormous motorhome. Yep. Yeah. And we also had a cruise ship. Cruise ship? Yes. Yeah. Motorhome. Yeah. A house. Yeah. Um, a barn? We had a barn. Okay. We had a couple cars. Yes, that's true. We had... <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I think that's it. But anyway... A lot a, of that... That was enough. That took up an entire room. It just did. To, just to I mean, a lot of that thing. came from Value Village, but still. Not some of it. A lot of them were Christmas presents, though, yeah. too. I remember getting them. <laughs> so I'm just going to play Yellow Balloon now, so you can hear the song Yellow Balloon, and you can kind of hear what all the excitement was about. And uh, it's a pretty good song. This is a real kind of sunshine pop song from the mid-60s, 1967. This is uh, Yellow Balloon by the band The Yellow Balloon. Here we go. I never liked the rain before It always made me stay inside There's one thing that I know for sure I've got a reason to like it Since you took me for a rainbow ride It's raining boring but I don't care no more it's like a yellow balloon on a rainy afternoon and love's a yellow balloon I never felt this way before it's a feeling that I can't explain there's one thing that I know for sure I can tell you're feeling it too cause when I'm walking with you it's like a yellow balloon It's like a yellow balloon oh, 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 On a rainy afternoon oh, 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 Yes I do And I know you love me too Raindrops falling on the street I don't care Cause when we meet I know the sky is gonna get light the sun's gonna shine on everybody like a yellow balloon On a rainy afternoon And So that was Yellow Balloon. What do you think of that song? Pretty poppy, hey? Yeah, definitely poppy. So the single came out, it beat Dan and Dan and Jean to, uh, into the charts. Dan and Dean. Dan and Dean into the charts. Mm-hmm. Although Dan and Jean would also work as a... Dan and Jean. <laughs> Did I say Dan and Jean? Yeah. Dan and Dean into the charts. Uh, although they both had similar ads in in, um, in the music, this music magazine. Okay. I guess Billboard. 
Right. We had one for Janadine for for Yellow Balloon on one side yeah. and one for for the Yellow Balloon right. on the other side because they just called the band the Yellow Balloon. Yeah. And the B side, the song is called. Are you ready for the song? It's called New Lab Wooly. What? It's Yellow Balloon backwards. Oh. So the song is Yellow Balloon backwards on on the B side because they hey. had. Yeah. We were talking about Tanit, right? Yes, that's right. There you go. Yeah, I was, I Produced was thinking, by Christopher Nolan. Because there was no time to record an actual B-side, so they just reversed it and threw it on the on, on the reverse of the record. That's funny. And I just thought, what a boon for pranksters of that, for jukebox pranksters of that time period. Yeah, totally. Throw in six quarters and just choose that song six yeah. times. So long, suckers. <laughs> There's one problem, though. Hmm. No band. Mm. So now they had this huge hit song. Right. Was and climbing hey, up the charts. Go tour. That's uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. We need. So this was not an uncommon problem in LA of the time period. We've, yes, we've had this issue before. So there was Gary Usher's band, the Hondells, mm-hmm. which was a fake studio group that had a big hit with Little Honda. And so he had to create the Hondells to play the song. There was the Grassroots, um, P.F. Sloan and Steve Barry's studio project, which was basically a group called the Fantastic Baggies, acted as the Grassroots. Okay. And then when the song was a big hit, they needed a grassroots, and so they had to form a band called the Grassroots. And the same thing happened with with the Yellow Balloon. The, but this is where Don Grady comes into it, because he was kind of enthusiastic about the song. He wasn't part of the recording session, but he heard he heard the mix down, and he was just mm-hmm. like, "This song's gonna be a hit." Yeah. And what? And now, so he because he was uh, the teenage chairman for the National Muscular or sorry National uh, Cerebral Palsy association okay he would go from town to town for for telethons and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to make appearances he was very famous from his tv show right it was a popular show it was on for 11 years that's a a long time for a tv show and so he would tour the country but when he was in various cities he would go to the a club to hear the bands and he would if he heard a musician he really liked yeah he would go he would you know go up to them and he would get their name and number so Mm -hmm. he'd say well you know if anything happens i'll give you a call because i really think you're great and so we had like this list of all these musicians he thought were great. And so right. so Canterbury had the deep pockets. They could fly in a few musicians. So mm. they chose ones that were fairly close. Mm-hmm. So they brought in two musicians from Tucson, Arizona. Cool. And then two from Portland, Oregon. Cool. The two from Portland didn't actually know each other. They were from two separate bands who never oh, played okay. together or never played at the same time with each other. But the two from Tucson knew each other? They knew each other. Yeah, okay. they'd been in a band together. And so they came together as the Yellow Balloon. Suddenly, they're the Yellow Balloon. Right. They fly into town. They... Go, you know, they go to the they go to the uh, office of of Canterbury. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they they they're told, okay, you guys are gonna play tomorrow night. Yeah. You need to know fifteen songs. Oof. You need to, you know, you got you have to go get clothes. Yeah. And uh, you know, so they're just like this is ended up on this treadmill, right? Like just yeah. landed, and then next thing you know, you're like going to get clothes. Yeah. They just you know open account, pick, yeah. pick all the clothes you want. Right. You know. You got to learn all these songs. Get this, you know, sit down and learn these songs. We're gonna do a record. You got to do this. Got to mm-hmm. do that. Blah, blah blah. So, so yeah, they but they actually really liked each other. They worked together really well. That's so good. that's a, that's that's quite that's such a life changing experience. Yeah, for, artists. for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you imagine someone comes through and they're like, "Oh, I like you. I'm gonna write down your information." And you're yeah. like, "Well, nothing will ever come of that." <laughs> and then they're like, "Hey, we want you to be in this band." And you're yeah. like, "Wait a second. We're gonna tour this hit song. We need you guys." <laughs> so so Don Grady played drums. And so the other guys played, you know, played bass and guitars right. and keyboards and stuff like that. And so the reason that Grady played drums is he didn't want anyone to know that he was in the band. Oh, okay. So he um, he would play drums disguised with a wig and mustache. Okay. And he'd wear like a big floppy hat on his head. Right. And play drums. And I was gonna say playing drums has never uh, has never obstructed anyone from knowing how handsome Andrew from Sloan is. Or Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, but see, he, that's why he wore sunglasses. Right, and a big a fluffy wig hat. and a fluffy hat and stuff like that. Because yeah. he was a really handsome guy. Yeah. Um, Don Grady. Hmm. A real, a real American, all American look. Yeah, yeah. And. Well, now I have to look up young Don Grady. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. So on the album itself, he was listed by his actual last name, which was Agrati, A-G-R-A-T-I, for, for songwriting credits. Okay. But he was credited as a musician. He was credited as, as Luke R.U. I don't know why that was the case, but Luke R.U. And um, so now it was during the recording sessions for Yellow Balloon that this song came about, the, the impressions of Savan, because he's working on a different song called Junkmaker Shop. And the engineer made a mistake while turning some knobs and he created this really weird sound that Don Grady loved. And so he just went home and wrote Impressions of Savan that night. And then he wanted to record it really quickly so this, the engineer would remember his mistake so he could do it on, on the single. And uh, there you go. That was uh, Impressions of Savan. All right. So I'm just going to play one last song, Mary. This is going to be our last song I'm going to play okay. during the show. Any, any extracurricular songs? Oh, okay. The rest of the songs say, will all be songs think, that we just have. I think we, we have play. a few more songs to go Do you have through, a few more songs to go? This is our last extra song. This is our last extra our song. Last right? bonus song. I just want to, I've just been having a lot of fun finding all these little songs during the show. And so I wanted to play this song by Don Grady, performed by the Yellow Balloon. And this was one of the few songs that they actually performed as a band on the record. So this is all the, all the Yellow Balloon guys playing together with Don Grady singing uh, a song by Don Grady called Junk Maker Shop. And I really, I just, I really like this kind of 60s sound. So here we go. This is Junk Maker Shop, everyone. I hope you enjoy it.
All right, man, so that was Junk Maker Shop. I think that's really good. Great example of uh, 60s fun. Just a bit of a an album. This album filler, but still still a good song. All right, so let's let's leave Don O'Grady. Or, sorry, Don O'Grady. Let's leave Don O'Grady behind. You know what's funny? His sister goes by Lanny O'Grady. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's closer to Agardi. Right. Than just being Grady. Than just Grady, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's move to our next actual song that was on the mixtape, Mary. Okay. This Rather is than just playing a bunch of extra songs. Yeah, yeah. This is the the Baynard Lakes, and the song is "Disaster" from their fantastic album. The Baynard Lakes are the Dark Horse from two thousand and seven. Here we go, everyone. This song is a disaster. I mean, it's disaster. <laughs> this song's not a disaster. Baby, I've got some words for you. Some 
And we're back. Mary? Yes. Thoughts and opinions? Well, I love feelings. this. I oh, love you this love song. This. Yeah, I think you played it already. In, I in think the show. so, yeah. yeah. I yeah. love it. It's such a good song. It's not my favorite song. My favorite song is For Agent 13. I love that song. It's such a great... Hmm. It's a building song, and I love building songs. You do songs. love building songs. But this song is really good, too. This song is kind of... It's sort of like alt-rock uh, alt Brian Wilson. Okay. You know, with a falsetto vocal. Yep. And then the instrumentation, you know, like the or- orchestrations kind of remind me of the Beach Boys stuff in a way. I re- really good. So unlike for Agent 13, this song utilizes the arrangement skills of the one of the band members whose name was Nicole Lizay, who was a keyboardist, but also was an arranger. So she arranged the strings, the horns, the woodwinds and stuff for, for the songs. Uh, she also played bass in this song. But yeah, she uh, she she's only doing her, her like arrangements on a couple of songs on the album. I don't think they had like the money to to really do like a lot of big full on arrangements, but because the the album was made in the in the it was made in their own studio that was run by the leader of the band this the guy named Jace this guy named Jace Lasek who had a studio there. Uh, not only did they he produced people, but he also used them on on the record. So Sophie Chodo from Godspeed You Black Emperor is on violin on this song, and Chris Seligman from Stars, both Canadian bands. Maybe people probably haven't heard of them, but but yeah, from Stars is on uh, French horn on this one as well. So just a but a great sound anyway. It's a beautiful song. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, it's such a good song. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. good. But yeah, I'm I'm I am pretty sure that I played it. So yeah, yeah, I think people right. know that. I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next song. Then I think you played this song as well, but can't be helped. I also had it on a mixtape. This is the High Llamas. The song is Nomads from the 1996 album Hawaii. And let's give this song. It would be Nomad slash Edit, or not what? slash uh, bracket Edit. Oh. End bracket because I had to edit it because uh, the album has no breaks. Ooh, which is really right. annoying, so I yeah. had to kind of make an edit at some point. Gotcha. But here we go, everyone. This is Nomads from Hawaii.
right. So that was the, uh, the High Llamas with Nomads and mm-hmm. Mare. Yes. I'm pretty sure you use this on a mixtape, so I'm pretty sure you like this song. Well, you would be right. I do <laughs> like the song. It's very good. I thought you were say you would be surprised. No, you'd be right. I love the song. It's really fun. It's yeah, it is. It's a fun song. Yeah. And I also think, like, I tried to listen to the rest of this album, but yeah. I didn't think it was as good as this song. No, I, I pulled off the best song. There's one other song in here I like quite a bit, a thing called Theaterland, which I used in another mixtape. Okay. But yeah, I think I think their first album, which I think is just called The High Llamas, is okay. Mm-hmm. Gideon Gay, the one, and then Santa Barbara, they're both very normal albums. So Sean O'Hagan, who's the leader of, of kind of leader, lead songwriter, singer and everything, he he was in a group called Micro Disney with a, with a singer named Cathal Coughlin. Micro Disney. Yeah. And then they broke up. And so then he, um, it was a case of critical, but not commercial success. So then he, he actually became a music journalist for a while until he started another band, which he called the High Llamas, which apparently was named after a photo he saw in a magazine of a Victorian era balloon. I have no idea why High Llamas came from that, Hmm. but that's where it came from. So now, like I said, the group's initial albums were kind of more guitar oriented pop. They weren't this sound. They were more normal sounding disc you know, a pop yeah. combo playing. And it wasn't until O'Hagan had gone to a Stereolab show Ooh. and introduced himself to the band. Right. And then somehow become the replacement keyboardist in the group. Okay. And permanent member for about a year. Right. That he, that he was Branched inspired. into weirdness. Yeah, he was inspired to kind of revamp the sound of the cool. band and take it into a direction that he was more interested in. Yeah. He was kind of playing for others before. Right. Doing something that he thought people wanted to hear. Yeah. And then he's, it's not the way to make art. Yeah, and then he was in Stereo Lab, and he's you know he's making lots of suggestions, doing string arrangements and stuff yeah. for them. Still does string arrangements for oh, the, cool. their later albums, or still did arrangements yes. for the later albums, but just wasn't a touring member of the group mm-hmm. anymore. But I, I always was like an auxiliary member. Cool. And so he he was really inspired by the fact that they you know they mixed had a synthesis of '60s pop, French yay yay, mm-hmm. uh, Brazilian tropicalia, mm-hmm. European avant garde music, yeah. and they kind of made this great melange of yeah. different kind of sounds and he really is really inspired by that to do his kind of follow his own his own kind of idea yeah, his own yeah. interest in music which in particular was like brian wilson he loved pet sounds i can hear that he yeah. loves that album even though i think this sound song has more of a closer sound to cabinescence from the smile era brian wilson okay just with the use of the banjo which is very right. cabinescent sounding he himself has described high llama's sound as a fusion of the post mid-century stockhausen era Mm-hmm. And the really screwed up West Coast American sort of music of the Wrecking Crew variety, hmm. but I think Brian Wilson particularly is really in there. The only place where they kind of fall apart is he has a pretty weak voice. It's a so-so voice. You it, think so? Yeah, well, it's not like a voice that you could do like a lot of harmonies with and stuff like that. Right. It's just not strong enough for that. Yeah. So he kind of misses out on that. But you do get like the instrumental part of it. What's interesting is when there's a Beach Boy named Bruce Johnson. We mentioned him earlier. He was part of like the surf scene in the okay. in the early sixties. Was in a group group with Terry Melcher called Bruce and Terry, and they produced a lot of surf stuff. Terry Melcher is the is the son of Doris Day. Oh, okay. And also produced the Birds later on. Cool. Like the first producer I've heard of, the birds. of Terry Melcher. Mm, I think we've talked yeah. about him before. He was the person Charles Manson wanted to kill, and that was the reason he killed Sharon oh. Tate. Was he was. He was gunning for Terry Melcher, right. and it was, he was sending a message to Terry Melcher. Yes, because Terry Melcher had declined to produce his his CD or whatever. Yeah, had his record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No or CD, it's not his CD. Sorry, no CDs in those days, yeah. His album. Yeah, and so, yeah, that was... Uh, but anyway, so now Bruce Johnson heard Hawaii, 
And he thought, well, this is really cool. Like, this guy is doing a kind of modern version of what Brian was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, and so Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys are, were like sort of mooting doing an album. They were, you know, kind of, it was going back and forth. And, and so Bruce Johnson suggested that Sean Hake, O'Hagan would make a great working partner with Brian Wilson to work through this Beach Boys album. And so O'Hagan met with the Beach Boys twice and he met with Brian Wilson once. Okay. But it kind of fell apart because neither camp, the Wilson camp mm-hmm. or the Beach Boys camp, mm-hmm. meaning Mike Love, couldn't really settle their differences. And so it, they couldn't just couldn't be re- reconciled to do another album okay. at that time, which is too bad. Which is too bad. It would have been kind of interesting to hear it. And also, I think that Brian Wilson at that time had very little interest in returning to like a Smile era Beach Boys sound. That's fair. And I think that's wh- that's where like... Or, or, you know, like a Pet Sounds era yeah. Beach Boys, which was a very work-heavy yes. uh, sound. I don't I think mean, Brian Wilson was had the patience, yeah. the, the ability, courage, maybe. the confidence yeah. to kind of t- tackle that again. Yeah, And so. I mean, yeah, like why would you want to return to that place that brought you down so far? Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's a great song. It is a great no, song. Nomads. Yeah, Nomad. Really good. All right, so let's move on to our next song. Oh, right. What's our next song, Dad? This is uh, Gruff Reese. Okay. At least I think that's how you say his name. I don't know how you pronounce the U in Welsh. It could be Griff Reese. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, yeah. Groof, maybe. Cumru, right? That's how you pronounce C. Cumro. But that, Cumro. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Cumro. So Grof. Grof. Grof Reese. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll, he'll tell us when he hears the show. So this is uh, American Interior from the album American Interior that came out in 2014. Uh, just to Mary, pretty recent, right? Uh, looks like it is actually Griff. Oh, Griff. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This is uh, American Interior one. Let's give it a listen. This song is really great.
right, and we're back. Mary? Yes? Thoughts, feelings, impressions of Savon. Oh, no, we played that song already. What did you think of uh, American in- or American Interior by Griffiths? I think you mean A Very Cafeteria. A Very Cafeteria. Which is A Very Cafeteria. It's definitely what I thought he was saying. It wow. works. It works. Well, it works in that it makes no sense, but it does work, I guess. Well, that's why I was confused about it <laughs> and went and looked up what the song was called. Yeah. And was like, oh, American <laughs> Interior. I guess I can hear it. I guess I hear that. Um, but yeah, I really like the song. Yeah, it's great. I thought it was really good. That's yeah, a great um, song. I thought... It's fun to sing along with. Yes, it is. It's probably my favorite song on this mix that I didn't already know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fun. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's good. So he was a member of, or he is, or was. I'm not too he sure where they are, exist now. He was a member of Super, Super Furry, Furry Animal. Animals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And part of the cool Kumro yeah, scene. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So he began releasing solo albums in 2005. So he's still a member of Super Furry Animals then. But I guess he had songs that weren't suitable for their next album. And so he put that out. He put them out as a solo project. So this is his fourth solo album. And it was actually a multi-me- multimedia project combining an album a film, a book, and an app for mobile devices. Hmm. He played most of the instruments himself, except for drums and strings, as well as co-directing the film with Dylan Gotch, who he had worked with before on a, a film that he had produced before that. And so the album was a concept album about the life of Welsh explorer John Evans, who lived from 1770 to 1799. So now in Wales, in the 1790s, there was this great interest in the story of Madog, who is a kind of folkloric Welsh prince who supposedly sailed to the Americas in, in 1170. And now there were rumors that were coming back. There's persistent rumors that were coming back from America that there was a Welsh-speaking Indian tribe in the Americas. And so and so it was decided that they were going to have this expedition. Okay. John Evans was going to accompany this very famous Welsh anti- antiquarian yeah. whose name was Iolo uh, Morgan, whatever you pronounce WG as in Welsh, I don't know. Oh, sorry, what? M O R G A N W G was his name. W G. G. Yeah. So when he dropped out, when Morgan dropped out, mm-hmm. Evans just went alone. Right. So he arrived in Baltimore in 1792, and was promptly arrested as a as a British spy. Oh. So it took him a little while. Mm-hmm. So in 19, so in 1795. He set off on an expedition with Spanish support, with Spanish backing, to explore the Missouri, find the Mandan tribe. These were the people who supposedly spoke Welsh. Okay. And, of course, discover a route to the Pacific, which is well, what yes, every, everyone was... of course. Was, everyone was looking for that stupid <laughs> route to the Pacific, yeah. as if it existed. <laughs> but yes. They're like, oh, maybe everyone the St. Lawrence. Everyone maybe explored. the Columbia. <laughs> maybe the Fraser. No. But Fraser does go to the Pacific, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah, no, but it doesn't go. Across, like it doesn't cross it's not, the, it's it doesn't not across, across Canada. The, yeah, it doesn't go across the the continent. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, no cross continental. Yeah, there's like, no passage. canal. There's no yeah. canal across the continent. Uh, so, so yeah, so he um tra- he traveled 1,800 miles up the Missouri, and found the Mandan tribe. Unsurprisingly, Mary, guess what? What? There were no Welsh speakers. What? Yeah, I know. Are you telling me? I'm telling that you. in this tribe that is indigenous to a different continent yeah they didn't speak the language that's spoken on, on a different continent <laughs> yeah, I know, it's weird. that's so weird i know it's odd especially since you'd think that because they also built pyramids because <laughs> uh, this is around missouri right missouri yeah yeah you think that since they also spoke pure pyra- built pyramids they built pyramids there yeah not ziggurats but pyramids no pyramids really yeah 
I did not know that. They're, they're a mound building culture. A mound. Oh, so they're mounds. They weren't stone. They were they were dirt pyramids. Yes. Were they burial chambers or what were they? No, they were um, built as uh, well. They had a variety of of purposes. Yeah. Including um, platforms for um, dances, or the chief's um, house would be up there sometimes. Well, if John Evans had gone there looking for EDM culture, he would have been. Yeah. Years ahead of himself. He would have been. It's true. Instead of looking for the stupid yeah. Welsh language speaking guys. And by the way, even if they had spo- spoken Welsh in 1170, yeah. by the time you're there in 1790, yes. the language would have trans... trans uh, yes, it would have. I was going to say transmorphed. I don't think that's a real word. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, considering the fact that... Well, yeah, no, it's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty silly. It is pretty silly. So he but... returned to St. Louis in 1897. Sorry, 1797. And then... But he did make a map of, of the Missouri, mm. which he which somehow found its way to Thomas Jefferson. Okay. And then uh, it was later used by Lewis and Clark for their expedition. Oh, cool. So, the, I guess they had some help. Yeah. 1,800 miles of, of travel was made a little easier for yeah. them. So, yeah, there you go. And then he died in uh, New Orleans in, in 1799. The never made it back. Never made it back to Wales. Huh. So they're probably over there going, man, I can't wait to hear about this, this uh, tribe of <laughs> Welsh-speaking Indians. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> interesting thing <laughs> isn't, isn't it? well that's the thing about folklore like that though where you have like yeah. stories yeah, of... it's like when columbus was sailing and he was looking for all these like giant these giant men with one leg in the patagonias yeah like yeah. exist speaking to your microphone oh sorry <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> doesn't talking... exist yeah yeah um patagonia literally means like big foot oh really yeah <laughs> That's why it's called. Yeah, because they thought they, were... they thought that there was like big, big people with only one big foot there. <laughs> They're looking for these big giants. Hilarious. Where are these mythical monsters I keep reading about? They don't exist, my yeah. dude. Yeah. Well, you can't. I mean, we have our own myths. You can't fault people. No, it's true. You know. You're like, it's three. that's a 300-year-old document you're reading, yeah. written by someone who never left England. Hey, people are <laughs> believing a, a two-year-old, uh, you know, prank on... Uh, on 8chan so oh yeah that's true enough <laughs> so let's, let's not get too mad at uh, columbus oh yeah yesterday not to not to date ourselves here but yesterday was october 17th okay what which, is that that was the day that um jfk jr was supposed to reveal that he was alive and replace P- pence as trump's running mate <laughs> love it yeah what nuttiness i know all right mary we're in the home stretch here this okay. is our penultimate song this is the gto's oh from their crazy album, Permanent Damage, from 1969, this is, the song is called, Do Me In Once, mm-hmm. and I'll Be Sad, Do Me In Twice, and I'll Know Better, mm-hmm. bracket, circular circulation, and bracket. So here we go, everyone. This is the GTOs.
than before the start You cheated and pretended to And we're back. Mare? Yes. You have pointed out on the show before mm-hmm. that traditionally you do not enjoy the second to last cut. It's often true. Of mixtapes. I, I actually have a question about the song. Oh, sure. Um, is Was John Kale's wife singing in the song? Possibly. Oh, we'll talk about that. I don't know. I just, oh, I don't know. Because they don't sure. really tell us who, oh, who is okay. on each. They'll tell us the musicians, some, some of the tracks, but they do right. not tell us who is singing any of the tracks. Gotcha. Or who wrote the tracks. Gotcha. So it's hard to know hmm. quite often. Also, it does say who, who wrote them. If it was written by people who weren't GTOs. Oh, okay. So this song is not credited to any writer. So it was written by the GTOs. Okay. What that I guess that's the, division of labor was, I don't know. I guess that's the together part. Yes. Yes, they are together in this outrageously mm-hmm. so although although the album was executive produced by frank zappa mm-hmm. who was a friend of the group but didn't he form it or something well not necessarily not form it he suggested like he... that they that these girls form a group because they were right. all friends together already yeah, and he was like hey you should do this professionally miss christine whose name was christine furka she was his nanny oh okay and so she was friends with with uh pamela de well, not Debar then, but Pamela Debar mm-hmm. and and her friend Cynthia, Miss Sparky, and you know, and Cinderella came later. She was actually introduced by by someone else in the group. Oh, okay, but there was four originally, four main kind of members of the group right. originally. Four outrageous girls. Four outrageous girls who you know performed as the Cherry Sisters, performed as the okay. Little Canyon Ballet Company. Right. And then Frank Zappa said, "Well, why don't you guys form a band? That'd be kind of cool." And you know, because you have these great experiences, and we find fun to re- get all this down as a. Because what he was really interested at that point in his career was kind of almost arch- archiving the the LA scene of that time period. Oh, okay, yeah. So he did the the double album, "An Evening with Wildman Fisher." Mm-hmm. Larry Wildman Fisher was a street person who was a who was a would you know do songs spontaneously right. start singing songs and stuff okay. like that. And had a lot of weird stories and stuff that he would tell. Mm, probably some mental health stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, had there. a lot of mental health issues, yeah. which was unfortunate because, you know, Zappa produced the album for him. And then, you know, well, my Fisher got the idea that this was stardom. He was going to be a right. star. And then when no money was came out of it, he was re- really upset and felt that yeah. he got ripped off by Zappa. Well, Zappa made no money from the album. Yeah. It was just, it was like a weird one-off, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, r- r- you know, kind of record, you know, mm-hmm. record of of a time. You know, and same with the same with permanent damage by the GTOs. There's no way that this record sold enough to make up for the production costs right. for it. And and that's that's just the reality. And I don't think, but they didn't have as much trouble with that idea as 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 Fish, Wildman Fisher did. But that he was crazy. So yeah, there's this, there's a guy I know. I mean, there's, there's just a difference in perception. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. There's a guy I know named Denny Eichhorn. He was a, a scenester and a comic book writer in, in Seattle. And he told the story of Wildman Fisher coming to, te- to Seattle in the 70s. Okay. And Eichhorn brought him up there. Mm-hmm. He, like, you know, he promoted the show and he brought Wildman Fisher up there. And so Wildman Fisher stayed at his house. Right. And after Fisher left, he drove back to the airport and he left. He came home and he smelled this terrible smell. Mm-hmm. that was like permeating the whole, whole house. Yeah. And it took him a while to find it. And he discovered that 
Wild Man Fisher had took a poop in his closet in some shoes. Okay. And just left it there. Yeah. Nice guy. But just a problem, right? Rob, well, he probably didn't know where the bathroom was. And no, kinda, and I mean, like, it's hard to... It's hard to operate when you're not It's hard to there. operate when you're mentally ill, right? Yeah, and, like, yeah. it's hard to... I was trying to think of an analogy, but, like, it's not... I mean, I... I don't know. Like you can't you can't blame someone for doing something that is expected, right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, if you're gonna bring a guy called Wild Man who's known for yeah. his crazy antics, like if yeah. you're gonna bring someone with known mental health issues into your home, you're not gonna expect him to be a perfect house guest. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, like, no, he wasn't mad about it. Oh no, no, I, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. It's just like this is more of a story of whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. So. So yeah, Zappo kind of executive produced it, but the songs were done by various people on the album. So for instance, this song was produced by Lowell George, mm -hmm. who's very well known as a member of Little Feet, right. a group that was kind of like a southern, a kind of countryfied group in the 70s. He played with them for a long time, played slide guitar and stuff. And so he can, he's playing the fabulous guitar in this song. And he produced it with another guy named Russ Teitelman, who also went on to be like a big deal producer, produced Higher Love for Stevie Winwood, would be an example of one of his big hit songs. And he, they, they, so they produced it. I, like I said, I'm not too sure who sang it. It is described on the album as a reasonably abstruse love song with a gentle bum in it. So I'm not too sure what that means. So this, I kind of, I'm guessing the song is probably sung by Miss Pamela. Okay. Pamela DeBar. The other G2s in the album are Miss Christine, mm -hmm. Christine Furka, Miss Mercy, mm -hmm. Mercy Fontenot, aka Judith. Edra Peters, who died recently. Oh. She passed away at age 71. She, when she was six, 15 or 16 years old, she, she was emancipated from her parents. She applied for emancipation oh, by wow. the court. Yeah. It's hard to get. Yeah, it, it is. And lived in the streets in San Francisco, in the Haight-Ashbury mm. for several years. Met Pamela Debar. They were long, they were buddies. And they, re, they, they discovered that they could get way more action with rock stars if they moved down to Los Angeles. Right. So they moved down to Los Angeles. And also, I think Miss Mercy had the uh, dreams of becoming an actress. Did not work out that way, but she had she had, had dreams. Yeah, so she was on it. Miss Cinderella, Cynthia Wells, as we... Uh, John Cale's wife. John Cale's wife. Ex-wife. Ex-wife, yes. Miss Sandra, Sandra Lynn Rowe, and Miss Sparky, Linda Sue Parker, who is not credited as performing on the album, but is credited for composing songs along with Davy Jones of the Monkees, which is a very strange credit, but it's there. Now, I don't want to go too much into the later lives of the GTOs, Mary. Let's just say they had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. At a time when society was learning the cost of a lot of fun. Right. So when I was thinking about it, when I think about past comments I made about the group, it ends up kind of sounding like a judgment on women in music to me. Because, yes, some of them passed away from drug overdoses. Right. Some of them had bad experiences in yes. their lives. Some of them recovered mm -hmm. from, from, their, from their, those bad experiences. But Lowell George died from a drug overdose as well. Well, yeah, that's so. It happens to everyone. It's not and just. I mean, we were just, just talking a, about the um, the Holy Model Rounders. Yeah, that's right. And them and their um, yeah, notorious behavior. For yes, you, for and like years, yeah. yeah, you also listed a whole bunch of people who made terrible albums while on acid. Not terrible. Okay. Interesting. Okay. There's a difference. Okay. Big difference. All right. Who made albums while on? Who made strange albums while on acid? Or recovering and, from or acid recovering breakdowns? From acid yeah. breakdowns. Yeah. And like yeah. we mentioned, Brian Wilson as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's another person who famously suffered a suffered a LSD related yeah. nervous breakdown. Yeah. Um. And we talked about we've talked about Love before as well, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. was dealing with like this. I think that this was a time when people were people didn't realize the effects that drugs would have on their minds and yeah. on their bodies, yeah. right? Yeah. Because so much of that was so new. 
and people were just discovering. Yeah. It wasn't just that it was new. It also the people who were warning you about it were the were the establishment who you were, were you were rejecting. Yeah. You were rebelling against them. And I mean, the other thing was um, it because it's like a what what's that? Um, boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Right. If you tell someone that everything that they can do is bad. Yeah. Right. You tell them like, oh, having sex is really bad. You can't do that before you're married. Oh, like you can't, you know, go off and join a band. You have to stay here at home and like marry a nice man and have a bunch of babies. And like, you can't go out and get a job for yourself. You have to like stay home and be a good housewife. Yeah. Like if you're constantly being told things and discovering that those things aren't true, then you're going to think, well, maybe nothing that they told me was true. Right. Sure. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it, I think that it's a reasonable reaction to discovering that you have been fed, um, or the things that you have been told are not accurate. Yeah. Right. That like, they're all accurate, by the way. None of the things I listed were accurate. No, well, they'll have they'll have costs associated with them. Everything has a cost associated with it. Doesn't mean it's a bad action to take, right? <laughs> Having sex before you're married yeah. has potential consequences, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing to do. Yeah. Right. Yep. So does smoking. I don't think have potential consequences. Well, I think that the, I don't think those things are really the same. But shrug, so people know that I shrugged. Okay. <laughs> well, I just mean like. Women with multiple partners right. are more likely to get cervical cancer. Right. You know, so that is something that is a cost of that behavior. Right. right. But I mean, like, you can also be safe about um, about sex and whether you can be safe about smoking. No, oh, okay. That's true. But I mean, that's the other, th- that, like, the other, the related thing to that as well is, like, providing proper sex education to people, right? Mm. And, like, having um, laws about... Yeah, having laws about drugs that aren't, and like laws and cultures that aren't penalizing, but educating mm-hmm. about all this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know I agree, Mary. I know you do. You were raised properly. I know. That's why you're a heroin addict. So I'm a heroin addict and a housewife. <laughs> <laughs> 14 children. <laughs> so um, I do want to talk about one person, though. Okay. Not because I want this to be like an illustration of oh look out don't be a groupie but more because of its consequences which i, f- which I don't know if anyone's ever suggested this but here's the thing now miss christine who I, as i mentioned earlier was a nanny for for frank zappa yes. and kind of was the connection of the groupies to frank zappa um she also appears in a very striking image on the uh, cover image for Fra- uh, frank zappa's hot rats album it's a fantastic shot it's a great image uh shot by cal Kel- Shank- cal who was the one who knocked up uh, Miss Sandra? Now, um, she also had the misfortune, Mary, of uh, dying of an overdose after spending a year in a body cast to to um, correct a bent spine. So she spent, she spent an entire year in a body cast. That's nuts. And then died of a, an overdose. Uh, not only that, but she OD'd at a house in Cohasset, Massachusetts, which was at the time being rented by Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Okay. This was in 1972. Right. So at this point, I'm pretty sure they would have been being, they were being produced by John Cale, who is married to Cynthia Wells, Miss Cynthia. So she would have known Miss Christine. So Miss Christine was probably staying there with them and had this misfortune. And a lot of people wonder why Jonathan Richmond went from playing music with the Modern Lovers, which was very Velvet Underground inspired rock and roll music, a little bit dark in tone and stuff like that. Why he went from doing that to to breaking up the Modern Lovers and making his music 
the exact opposite of that. He only wanted to make music that was about happy things right. and about fun things. And he wanted to play in old age homes for people. And he wanted to perform in hospitals. And he would do songs like Ice Cream Man <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Well, well, you know, after I read this, I thought, well, this is pretty obviously the thing that like changed him right. was having a woman die in a house that he was staying in. Yeah. You know, who knows who discovered it? It could have been yeah. Jonathan Richmond who walked into yeah. the room and discovered this person laying cold and blue mm-hmm. on a bed, you know, and yeah. just thought, you know, well, screw this. I don't want to be part of a, this. Yeah, this like, culture this no, yeah, that's, this, that idolizes behavior that leads you to this, yeah, yeah. this end result or potentially leads you to this end result. Yeah. yeah. And it's not something that I've ever read suggested about, about, his, about his reasoning, his reasons for changing. Hmm. Um, I do know that like all the other modern lovers were didn't seem to understand either and were very upset when he broke up the group but right but i feel like you know he was someone who who had a very mystical sense um of himself like he had okay. a really like kind of a uh, new age kind of philosophy for the time period right. for the time period and i think i think it just really shook him to to mm-hmm. have this happen you mm-hmm. know in in the milieu that he was living in you know and in a, in a way he held himself responsible for it you know right. because they were creating this the situation that has happened in and they were creating like the feeling of this that would that would allow this to happen you know yeah. someone would feel oh these guys are cool and they'd be okay with me shooting up in their house yeah and or whatever happened exactly i'm not exactly right. certain but you know so yeah it's kind of a an mm-hmm. interesting part of the story sad part of the story obviously yeah it is you know there's triumphant parts with pamela de bar who kind of uh she memoired her 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 life as a as a young groupie into into a into a successful career right you know and 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 was friends and longtime friends with um, with Miss Mercy. Okay, they were friends and you know they were yeah L.A. Pels. Well, Miss Mer- or uh, Miss Pamela was the one who announced to the world that Miss Mercy had passed yeah, away. That's right? Right. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, that's how that yeah. news on Instagram. Got out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and I, I was just reading about Miss Mercy, and it looked like she got clean in like oh, yeah, two thousand, yeah, yeah, and spent the last twenty years of her life like being clean and working at a thrift store yeah, and like. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. you can turn it around. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone can, yeah. but it's good if you can, and it's good if you can stick with it, right? It certainly is, and I mean, and I think it's good too if you have friends like Pam, like Miss Pamela, <laughs> who have been through what you've been through, and yeah. can sort of show you that there is a better way out. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also important. Well, it's not important, but I think it probably helps to have um, people who didn't make it through, right? Just as a reminder of what could happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, Cynthia Wells, she died of mysterious circum- in mysterious mm. circumstances okay. at an early age. Um, another one of the girls died of AIDS. Okay. Related illnesses. So, yeah, they all kind of... Yeah. There's a little bit of suffering, in, but also ones that, you know... Uh, Sparky, Miss Sparky, she went on to work for Walt Disney. So, oh, okay. You know, yeah, I mean, just different different stories for different... Yeah. And what you wanted out of it, I mean, and your feeling of disappointment in it and stuff, I guess, were all related to that as well. Mm-hmm. But I really love this song. You know, th- yeah, it's a super fun song. Yeah, I for- maybe I forgot to ask you what you thought of it, but uh, uh, sorry. No, no, you did ask me, but then oh. we started talking. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, no, I liked it. It was fun. Yeah, I really liked. I liked the singing voice. Whoever, yeah, it's whoever it was. almost so innocent. And it is. Yeah, it's like naive. kind of like childlike. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like the lyrics too. They're very weird. Yeah, they're really weird. I like like the circular, circuitous, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, stuff that was fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a fun song. Circular circulation. Yeah, circular. Circular circulation. Yeah, it's a... Uh, oh, yeah, it's circular circulation circles continuously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it's just a... 
because I, I love outsider art as long as it's as long as it's good to me like yeah. I, I i'm really interested in in people who follow outside you're not of reading the normal the, you're not reading the vivian girls and that forty thousand page manuscript no that's i mean i might want to look at a little bit of it but right it'd have to be interesting or compelling yeah. in some way and you know music is more interesting to be compelling to me than it's uh, also than a 40, shorter page manuscript yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah uh I really, really like the song. And the album's a lot of fun, too, I think. We played I'm in Love with the Ooh Man before, so... Yes, we did. And we've ta- we've talked about the GTOs um, mm-hmm. before yeah, a, f- a yeah, fair amount. Yeah. And I said at the time I was going to talk about their 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 future lives, and I just... I kind of changed my mind over the over the interim. Right. And decided I wouldn't really go into it too much. Although I, I, mean, I, I ended up doing it anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just kind of... Like, they... They put out this album, yeah. but they were not professional musicians. No, no. And they did not get any of the money associated with that, right? Yeah, like the yeah. money or the fame, yeah, like yeah. other people did. And because they didn't have that, they, they had also certain, had less... They had a certain low level of fame yeah. for what they did. And because they did not have that same amount of money coming in, they had less resources <laughs> to help them when things got really bad, yeah, yeah. right? So when they ended up, you know, drug addicts, mm-hmm. um, rather than having like a lot of money to use to pay for their rehab they were doing what going back to their parents who they um were able to get emancipated from when they were 15 yeah right like (laughs) going back to living on the street in like san francisco like there's there's just less options for them and it's one thing to live in on the streets in the summer of love and it's a totally different thing to live on the streets in the late late 60s early 70s that's Mm -hmm. uh, much more dangerous and yeah and not such a great place like when I was reading, I was reading a when I was reading about yellow yellow balloon, and they said like L.A. of the 1960s is not the L.A. of today. Like you can't right. think of L.A. of that time as like the gun-toting corporate mm-hmm. world it is now. Like at that time, L.A. was a was a small town. Yeah, you know, it was a small town. It was all low-level buildings, all right. very few sky, skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. It was just a small place, you know that, and a safe feeling place where people yeah. could, you know. And maybe that's part of the risk of it was the the smallness and the safe safe feeling yeah. of it. But yeah, it was a different place. It's hard to it's hard to put yourself in that time period mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. understand what was going on for these people. But yeah, that's great. That's great, Maria. Thank you for your thoughts and all that. Let's get to our final song. Okay, we've got fifteen minutes until the pizza's ready. I don't. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't think we have. I don't think I have much to say about this song or about. I have a couple things to say. Okay, cool. So this is um. This is Sufjan Stevens. Yes. The song is jo- uh, John, John, my, my beloved. beloved. Yes, from Carrie and Lowell. Yes. From what year, Mary? Twenty fifteen. Good for you. Very good. Uh, so let's give a listen, everyone. This is uh, Sufjan Stevens. Covered in lines 
the fossils I find Have they no life of their own? So can we pretend Sweetly before the mystery ends I am a man with a heart That offends with its lonely and greedy demands There's only a shadow of me In a matter of speaking I'm dead Such a waste Your beautiful face Stumbling carpet arise Go follow your gem Your white feathered friend Icarus point to the sun If history speaks Of two baby teeth My throat's on your head So can we be friends Sweetly before the mystery ends I love you more than the world can contain In its lonely and ramshackle head There's only a shadow back 
And Mary, before I ask you what you think of this song, I yes. think you'll agree with me that it is an odd ender. I don't think so. I'm glad you agree with me. I don't think it's an odd ender at all. I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, that's really good. I, <laughs> I just thought people are not going to understand what I was going for when I when I put this ending on it, but I think this is a really great ending. It's but okay. a really great ender. Okay. I am actually, every time I listen yeah. to Carrie and Lowell yeah. and Blue Bucket of Gold comes on after this, yeah. I'm like, why did he put another song after this song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is such a good ender. Yeah. And I actually, I think I talked about this, I think I might have talked about this last time. When we talked about Mykonos, okay. I'd said that I, before Duncan and I were dating, I had made him a CD of my top 10 favorite songs. Okay. This is what I ended that with. Okay. Okay. Not that it's like my 10th favorite song, <laughs> but, it's but the, in that it's, it's, it's such a good side end or yeah. like such a good ender for yeah. Yeah. an album. The only problem that I have with this, um, with this song being the final song yeah. is that I always need to listen right to the very last second. Yeah. Um, and I have a multi-disc, multi-CD player in my car. Okay. And so I listen too late and then it switches <laughs> to the next CD and then I have to go back and it takes a lot of time to like do the CD shuffling yeah, and the yeah, things yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, because I need to go back and like re-listen to the songs. Mm, right. But mm -hmm. it just ends on such a good note yeah. with like that final, like really like with that inhale. There's an inhale and then he it basically turns off the tape. Yeah. Because this is, I think, the one that was recorded in Kellenwood yes. Falls in a hotel room. Yeah, on his iPhone. On an iPhone. Yeah. And so that's, there's a bit of noise to it. You can hear mm -hmm. like a lot of background yeah. noise that wasn't taken out. and Which I think just makes it so intimate. It's so more... It's, it's such a like emotional, intimate song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, like and that final breath at the end, but there's other parts in the song that you can hear him breathing too, which just makes it like, usually that's taken out of songs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but just the choice to leave that in, yeah, yeah. in, in a song like this is so, I just love it. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the breathing at the end sounds like it's like a ragged inhale. Like it's like, he's like, he's like sad. full of emotion. Yeah, he's like sad. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, yeah. to, to steal his own words, I love Sufyan more than the world can contain. <laughs> yeah. It's so when you, I... you have, you um, posited to me in the past that you felt this was a, a gay yes. song. Yep. Or as I think of it as a religious song. Okay. Because the John, the beloved is John, the apostle. of. Right. The, I think the, it can be both. The final gospel of the, the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be, obviously it can be both. Cause I think yeah. that Sufyan often conflates his religious beliefs with, with yeah. social things as social well. Social things, yeah. And yeah, because that could be, yeah, any like thing, really his relationship with his parents or his life experiences or his relationships, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't think that him, I don't think that just because he's gay doesn't mean that he can talk about his relationship, his um, emotional or sexual relationships with other people and also his relationship with god mm -hmm. in the same song yeah, right like those yeah. things can all exist together right mm -hmm. um but like i think like my tongue on your chest is one of the lyrics in the song okay and then at the beginning of the song as well he's talking I, I don't about i always get all the lyrics that's course, okay so. that's okay but uh, and then i'm just expressing why yeah I, yeah no, no and then at the beginning of the song as well he's talking about um drinking long island iced teas in a bar and chatting with a stranger mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or chatting with someone yeah yeah um which yeah yeah he said this album accompanied a dark time for him yeah and that he thought doing it would be cathartic mm. but he found it the opposite he found that it actually he got his darker feelings got deeper than, yeah. rather than lightning i can see that which I, yeah i thought that was interesting yeah i mean it, there i think that he is more 
Um, I feel like he is more open about stuff in this album than he is. And yes. like there's there's one not in this song, but there's another song where he has a lyric about how he's like masturbating next to someone and they're scrolling through their phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's just such a sad idea yeah. of hello anomi. Yeah, of just like being so like close to someone, but mm-hmm. they're just not giving engaging. You anything. Yeah, they're not engaging yeah. with you at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's talked about his mother before and and songs and other. Another records, but it's always couched in the third person as yes. as, it's, as a as an experience of a of an imaginary yeah of someone narrator. else yeah, yeah yeah and like it it's it's always it could have it could be based on his experiences it could also just be a narrative story yeah right because yeah. like sometimes he does that right like mm-hmm. it could be about someone else it could be about him you, you don't know mm-hmm. um but yeah and like I think it's his relationship with his parents was difficult like he didn't I don't think he felt very comfortable at home ever you know Hmm. like i think he said that it was like being with his dad it was more like him and his siblings were like workers than they were a family yeah yeah um just because they were so poor yeah they were they were were employees yeah like i said that one time when you're showing me a picture of a giant family yeah i said those aren't children married those are employees (laughs) yeah 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 all right. Well, that was a great ender. I feel. I'm glad yeah. you agreed with me. I'm glad you agreed with me. I, th- I thought people would be kind of like, "Why would you choose such a downer song as oh, the final song on?" No. This? And I actually, the first time it came on, I was driving home to Chilliwack, yeah. and it was raining, and I listened to it three times. <laughs> I kept like, go back. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Mayor. Yes, Dad. Uh, it sounds like this was a pretty successful mixtape for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I mean, liked all the songs on the side. Yeah. And there's only one song on the first side that I was meh about. <laughs> well, that's really good. Well, hopefully other people felt, felt that way. And in fact, because of the way, I, because of some issues with iTunes not wanting to burn the CD because mm-hmm. it insisted that it was too long. Rude. I actually ended up making it, putting it together in Audacity. So I'm thinking that I'm not, I won't make any promises, but I think there might be a link on the page when the show's posted for you to download it if you're interested listeners oh, cool you can download it uh, i'll just have like a link to a to a mega a mega mega link file and you can just download it cool and i won't put anything on it don't worry it's just music no viruses oh no covid19 like, will what be would contained you put on there no covid19 will be contained in this i was like like more transfer. of us talking <laughs> that's right no nothing like that <laughs> just music but you can hear some of the some of the transitions which i thought were pretty great on this on this cd so hmm can hear that as well yes all right so which Mare, I, I do oops, think sorry. is missed in this format is the transitions between songs mm, which mm. are often very good yeah, yeah 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 i agree oh yes but you were gonna say how can listeners contact us i was gonna say that and i was also gonna say that i think next episode will be a listeners Ooh, uh, letters show cool so sounds good so make sure you write in mm-hmm. tell us what you think tell us what you don't think tell us what you hope tell us what you yep, wish yep, tell yep. us what you pray for yep. on your bended knee yep and we will respond in kind. Tell us how much you love Sofiane Stevens, but not more than I do, because that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and how can they do that, Mayor? Oh, um, on our website, which is sneakydragon.com. Mm-hmm. So you can go there. You can find our um, episode message boards, sort of, where people can comment, make comments on each episode. And you can chat with other people who have also made comments, sort of. <laughs> and we can see them. And then yep. I can go... Thanks. Um, I never respond, but I always read them. Um, and while you're on there, 
You can also go over to our contact us page and find every other way to contact us, including our mailing address. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll also tell you our email, which is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. And our Facebook is Sneaky Dragon. And our Twitter is Sneaky underscore Dragon. That is all correct. Yes. Thank you, dear. Thank you thanks for to your... our, our parent company, Sneaky Dragon. <laughs> parent company, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, they oversee all, all that we do. True. And edit, too, really heavily. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah, pretty rude of them, whoever they are. (laughs) (laughs) So there we go. Well, thank you, Mary, for another great episode. Yeah, thanks, Dad. And we were ending with five minutes to spare for our pizza uh, going to get. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. All right. So we'll say goodbye, everyone, because we're going to go have pizza. That pizza trumps everything else. True. That's That's a fact of life. It is. And so we will see you in a bye week. Okay. Bye. Fortnite. Bye. Very excited about pizza. No time to argue. (laughs)